Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I know what love is. I love you. You complete me. I may have never been kissed on Notting Hill, but I found a podcast you get the film. Maybe I'm clueless, but this is good as it gets. Paige, Mikey, and Todd serving the best of my best friend's wedding. Rom-coms, true love, and heavy petting. We'll be crying on the couch, but we're not forgetting. The most of these flicks are trash. We relive it again. All romance in the podcast. As you wish. I've been doing a lot of things. The thing is, I love you. Looks like love at first sight to me. Thank you for tuning into Romancing the Pod. I'm Paige Wesley. I'm Mikey Randolph. And I'm Todd Schlosser. And this week, Paige made Mikey specifically watch (laughs) West Side Story. So everyone's dying to know, Mikey, what did you think overall about the amazing best picture winning West Side Story? It won best picture? It won 10 Academy Awards. It is the most awarded musical in film history. Well. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think it was too terrible for the two and a half hour gap ad. <laughs> That's absolutely fair. Uh, I have a ton of notes on the jeans in this movie for fun facts. Nice. And you wouldn't think you would need that many notes on the jeans, except that this movie basically invented the jegging. And we're going to talk about oh, it. That sounds great. I'm glad it did. I hated it. I absolutely, I was like, okay. I tried to like it. I really did. I think my problem is I like movies being movies. And when I like to go to the theater, I like it to be like that. Like, I was like, I think I would like to see this in a theater. I don't right. like watching this as a movie. Interesting. And, and that's a very not only fair, but valid criticism. But I have seen this on stage and this was made so close to the stage version. So like. The stage version came out. It was a huge hit. This is made only a couple years later, and it's a huge, mega, big budget movie at the time. There are things that they changed for the movie that they end up changing for the stage show. So if you go see the stage show, you basically see the movie at this point just live. Um, so I would say if you if you saw it on stage, it would be almost exactly what you watched but live. Yeah, that that would have been fine. I don't like it as a movie. And also, what a weird weekend for those kids. I know. It literally is two, two days. days. <laughs> yeah, it's two days. From two days, they go from like chasing each other around, like fucking around, like kids fucking around over a park. Like they're fighting over their turf, quote unquote, right. which is just like a park, right? They're fighting and they're, they're like throwing fruit at each other. And then yeah. over the course of a weekend, it goes to like Multiple a triple homicide. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not really sure how they're going to do the remake, except for like. Because like everyone would have guns at that point, and then well, they're doing the remake. It's still in the '60s. Oh, it's not okay. set modern day. Yeah, so modern day West Side Story would just be like forty dead kids. 
Yeah. <laughs> it it would have been that that first day at the park when Baby John got too upset and then came back with his dad's gun and then everyone died. Yes. Yeah. I, I found this movie that is related to the adults enough. Like they like give them their coke or whatever and then be like, you know, you guys are all like, you know, bonkers and this is and this is not great. And like, you know, you guys are all terrible. You should please stop because this is really <laughs> dumb. And you're all really dumb. Oh, here's a police officer and the police officer's like Hey, you're all really dumb. This is really fucking stupid. Can you guys stop? But also, I'm hella racist. <laughs> oh, yeah. The cop is... Well, it's really the detective and Krupke are both super racist. And apparently the only police officers in all of New York City. It's well, it's their beat. This movie takes place yeah. on uh, between two streets. It, it's, it's... I have the actual addresses. Um, <laughs> there are less streets than murders in this movie. <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> This movie is it's like Lord of the Dance Flies. Why Lord of the Flies then? Because it's two groups of kids who just decide to murder each other over like two days. It's Romeo and Juliet. Lord of the Flies is just a bunch of kids on an island fighting for supremacy within one group. I, they hang out at the same spots. <laughs> yeah, because they're marooned on an island. What's Manhattan? It is technically an island. God damn it. Leave it leave it to Mikey to know geography one time. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just parsing things out. It was just so long. The movie is so long. It is long, but if you take out all the dancing and musical numbers, it's 45 minutes. And there's like the yeah. minutes of silence. Well, it's because it's shot beautifully, Mikey. Like there there's so much intention in the way this movie is made. That it is definitely trying to give you that theater experience in a movie, for yeah. sure. I appreciate it. It was a very pretty movie. It's a beautiful movie. I, I, I appreciate the way it was shot and the choreography, as what you talked about. I just was like, I bet people who love this thing really love this, this <laughs> thing. That's sort of like me with horror movies. I'm like, I bet people who like horror movies love this movie, but I hate this movie. <laughs> this movie. Yeah. And I feel like that's what Mikey's like saying right now. Yeah. Which that I makes get. Sense. And I listen, I've done 160 episodes of the horror virgin. So you've got 158 more musicals coming your way, Mikey. <laughs> oh, there, can't, there can't be that many. This movie has everything racism, gang violence, over policing in underprivileged neighborhoods, and no one singing with their own voice. Oh, really? really? I have a whole section of fun facts just on the dubbing for this movie. That surprises me. I mean, I understand why they would have to dub the voices because they shot this outside. So you'd have to dub all the singing that was done outside for sure, just from street noise, you know? Right. They dub it for sound quality and it becomes a huge, massive legal battle. Wow. Because oh. of them paying a small handful of people to sing for literally everyone. Like, Three or four people sing every voice in this movie. Holy shit, really? Yes, and they were not offered initially any royalties and stuff for it. Wow, so okay. So after this movie comes out and is crazy successful, thus ensues a battle for those people to get paid for the amount of work that they did because in some cases, they're not even listed anywhere on the movie. Like That's crazy. It's wild. Okay, so I think the main part about the movie that I kind of checked out is, like, I just don't relate to just, like, meeting someone and wanting to run away after 24 hours and meet <laughs> that person. It's, it's Romeo and Juliet. I know, I know. But, like, Romeo and Juliet, from Mikey's perspective, is a nightmare because <laughs> it's very quick commitment. I mean, I agree. They are not still, even if they made it, 
to the bus stop, they would not still be together. <laughs> yeah, it's like the end of The Graduate, which is a movie I've never yeah. seen, but I've seen that last shot of where they're very, very happy on the bus and then get very concerned at the end. <laughs> She's like, I'm on a bus with the person who murdered my brother. This is insane. <laughs> oh, you mean Maria? Yeah. <laughs> So, Paige, what is your, uh, like, when did you first see this movie? Like, what is your story behind West Side Story? Um, I definitely saw this very, very, very young. And I want to say that I saw it because my parents' sketch comedy group. God damn it. Your parents had a sketch comedy group? Yes, when I was ah, a child. I want of course, of so course they badly did. to be adopted by your parents. Before I was born, but then also as a child. Uh, two different sketch comedy I groups. love your family so much. By the time this comes out, this will have long been buried in my Twitter feed. But last night my mom started a story with, who was that guy who farted into a jar and gave it as a white elephant gift? I tutored their kids like as if that was going to make us remember. <laughs> I was like, I've what what white elephant party were you going to? Uh, and then apparently when he opened it, it still smelled. And I was like, that's what we were all wondering. Thanks for the info. <laughs> Thank you for that answer. Yeah. But they, <laughs> when I was younger, they had a sketch that made fun of the dance scene at the gym. The like, dun, 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 the dun, get dun, together dun. dance. We're, we're swirling and lights in the back. And they showed us this movie so that as kids, we would understand the sketch, which, by the way, <laughs> kids are not going to understand your sketches all the time. And it's all right. But like, yeah, so I'm pretty sure we saw it as a kid. And then I've seen it on stage, I think, at least twice. OK. And as a kid, I just it was a musical and we watched a ton of musicals and I liked it. And then I had to watch it again in film school. And at that point, I was just like, oh, my God, this is beautiful. Yeah. Like so much work went into every single frame of this damn movie. Like it is nuts. The uh, the amount that this movie plays with things like color and how significant it is in the movie. You can even see a shift in the way Maria dresses where at a certain point she stops wearing the jet, the uh, shark jewel tones and she's wearing jet yellow. Yeah. And like this time around, I, I was also looking at people in the background, which I know is a random thing. To, mm -hmm. Like, I know that's weird and don't do that. Watch the people in the foreground. That's why they're in bright colors. Uh, I do think once you've watched it enough, though, you could watch the people in the background because you know what's going on in the foreground. I've definitely seen this movie over a hundred times. Yeah, um, uh, yeah same. The people in the background are in a very specific shade of green and almost all of them are so that they blend in with the walls. And it is the craziest thing ever. Like, cause I'm watching it and I'm just like, what would other, like who else is watching this happen within the world of this movie? And if you start looking, you're like, Oh, people they're there. They're just drab on purpose. And it's very interesting. I think the dancing in this movie is phenomenal. Yeah. I have some stories about how and why that happened and who survived. <laughs> like multiple people almost die filming this movie from exhaustion and any number of things. Wow. Okay. I cannot wait to get to fun facts. Yeah. And I mean, there's also a murder, like a real life true crime case that what? comes up every time you talk about this movie. Well, because at some point we're going to have to talk about Natalie Wood's death because she's oh, one of the only main yes. characters that's not still alive. Yeah. She was on a boat with her, her husband, Robert Wagner, who she had married twice. So they had been married previously right around when this movie came out and then got a very painful divorce and the media presented it as if she had had an affair with Warren Beatty and that's why 
they got divorced. But a lot of people know now that the reason they got divorced was because she allegedly walked in on him with another man and it upsets her so greatly that she makes an attempt on her own life and is hospitalized for a time while the media is reporting that she's a horrible adulteress Um, because the media in the 60s was fucking terrible to celebrities and shit. Um, So then they end up getting back together later in life. They go out on a boat with Christopher Walken. So it's like her, her husband and Christopher Walken and the allegedly, allegedly, because no one can prove it and he's still alive. And so please don't sue us. (laughs) allegedly she walked in on Robert Wagner and Christopher Walken together and then she and Robert Wagner got in a fight about it and then allegedly Robert Wagner threw her off the boat and she drowned to death so what does Christopher Walken say nothing (laughs) he does not talk about it he he has come out and said that he heard them fighting that he like heard the fight and then, like, later on that night was like, where's Natalie? <laughs> it's just them three? Them and, I believe, a crew. Because it's like a small yacht. Oh, okay. oh, so there are other people. You think Christopher made her walk in the plank? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Christopher walking was in the bedroom and probably heard it happen, maybe. Uh-huh. But I don't think he is directly involved. I don't think he pushed her. I think, I think, in my personal opinion, allegedly, allegedly, finger quotes, finger quotes, I think Robert Wagner did it. He had a history of abusive behavior, allegedly. And um, that's terrible. I think it fits with his story. Yeah. But she's one of the only people that's not alive still. Yeah. So uh, I watched this movie probably 100, 150 times as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, I loved this movie. I would dance and sing along to it all the time as a kid. I had favorite songs from this movie that I would just sing to myself in my room. Like, I loved this movie so much. And I now understand. <laughs> I now understand when my dad, like, realized in high school that I had an interest in girls why he thought that it might not be that way. Like, I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, but, like, I loved this movie. And I remember, like, watching... I probably... I can't believe you liked this as a kid. Like, who could, I loved yeah. it. Mikey. And I still love it. As a kid, you do not understand the gravity of this film or the real-life implications. And so, <laughs> as a kid, I think I felt like this was a very romantic movie. And then, as an adult, I'm like, this is a very poignant commentary on systemic racism. (laughs) It is. I was going to say that. So, like, when I was a kid, I just liked it. I realized it was Romeo and Juliet, like, because people had told me that. Right. I got that part part of it. I got the aspect of it. I got that these people were really dying in the movie. Like, I got all that. Watching it now, and uh, I probably haven't watched this since... I don't know, just after high school? It's been a few years. It hits different now, just knowing like how much I've changed over the course of like my last 15, 20 years. Like I, I'm like, holy shit, like this is a really good sort of commentary on what racism is like and like from the sixties. I will say but I think my favorite song number. If I had to pick one. Oh my God, Paige, are you ready for this? Mikey has a favorite song from this musical. I had a guess and I want to know if I'm right. It's the one on the rooftop with the Jets, women and men when they're talking about America. That would have been my pro- second guess. Also, yes. that's the Sharks. It's, it's called America. But I, 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 I listened. I mean, if I had to pick one, I think that would probably be it. My my other guess would have been G Officer Krupke. Oh, I like that one too. I like okay, that one. Okay, I, I figured those would have been the two. So yeah. that was my favorite when I was like 12. I loved that song so much because it was it's honestly silly and it's just like a group of kids yes anding the shit out of each other and like just yeah playing they're like playing and i love that so much as a kid well they're joking but they're also like they're right? not joking it's real <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, yeah. but they're, yeah. like, so but they're like taking their real life circumstances and like 
making fun of it because that's all you can do <laughs> in the context of like my job and stuff and i'm like okay so like as a society we knew this was like a huge problem way long 60 ago years ago because all of these problems still exist yeah. without any improvement and i think what's really interesting to think about too is this was happening at the time so this was a movie that becomes a like major popular mainstream movie about localized racism in New York, which again, I know there's a systemic racism problem in our entire country. Right. But like the movie just focuses on New York. Yeah. Like yeah. there are active street gangs living this movie while this movie is out. And probably more than in New York, too. Probably like everywhere. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I'm sure they had cooler names. <laughs> the, the, the Jokers was one on Cult Podcast. We did The Bloods and the Crips mm -hmm. as an episode. And they were coming of, of age in the same time period on the West Coast, um, or at least the gangs would, that would then give birth to the Bloods and the Crips. And it's a very similar story. And yeah. in that historical context, they were like 13 in like the people that start the Bloods and the Crips. And you're just like, they're children. Like, it's so yeah. upsetting when you think about it. But that that's the reality of this movie. There are things I think this movie could have done better. I think it does great for the time. That's what I I was surprised. Yes. I think modern day. And here's the thing. I'm not excited that they're remaking this movie. I think we do modern musicals very badly. Yeah. But one of the <laughs> things that I hope they do is cast actual people of color, which is something this movie does not always do. No, I was like, oh, is this like, is this real? Is this makeup? I was like, I don't know. Some are, some aren't. This will all unlock a do, 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 early fun fact. I know one of them, I think, because Rita Moreno is from Puerto Rico and yeah. won, she was the first Puerto Rican woman to win an Oscar for her performance as Best Supporting Actress. So like, I, right. I, I know I know a lot about this movie because I love it so much, but I think, I think she was the first and I know Bernardo wins, but I don't think he's from Puerto Rico. He is not, uh, he is Greek and they did make him up quite a bit. Now he does have darker skin, but he is definitely made up and they had to put makeup on Rita Moreno so that she matched him for the lighting of the movie. Yeah. So she is actually painted darker as well. But then also Maria, Natalie Wood, super white, and she is painted up a little bit not as much as as the rest okay. of the group but she is also wearing makeup now the bulk of the rest of the sharks are either puerto rican mexican guatemalan from south america they have yeah. the, uh, kind of runs the gamut uh so there is another one of the sharks who is greek his name is gus traconis and he is the brother of a woman named gina traconis who plays graciela who's the redhead who is supposed to be italian <laughs> But there is also one of the shark girls who uh, her name is Francesca. Yeah. But she is played by a Japanese woman. And so. Wow. They're like all over the place. They're all over the place. They play pretty fast and loose. Yeah. With, with casting in this movie. But at the time, this movie had more Latin American actors and actresses and dancers and singers in it than pretty much anything out at the time. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Even though they're doing it real badly. <laughs> um for the time it was it was progressive um i do hope that the new one uh does better but this is also of the era where like mickey rooney was like playing like racist stereotypes yes. as a yeah. white man so like i get that it's not great 
but it's also yes. in an era where they probably tried hard to make it as mediocre as it is. No, right, I, I was right, very right. surprised in that shark's rooftop scene where the males were like, only if you're white in America can you make it. And yeah. I was like, oh, oh wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like yeah. this movie like saying something. Because I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. the only people watching this are probably white suburbia. Yeah, they're yeah. like, if you're all white in America is the lyric. I yeah. love it. My favorite lyric in that song is free to be anything you choose, free to wait tables and, and shine, shine shoes. shoes, baby. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, that. that's one of the best just to encapsulate this idea of the American ideal of freedom, air quotes, and the reality of what it means to be an immigrant in America, in an America that does not want you here, because that's what they are experiencing. Yeah. And that's what people still experience, except you can't even shine shoes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, who gets their shoes shined? What are you, in an airport? Now it's just waiting <laughs> tables. Yeah. So Let's just get into the movie, because there's so much to talk about. We'll, we'll have to talk about it when we get there, yeah. Is there so much to talk about? <laughs> Mikey, I think you low-key like this movie, and I'm going to pull that out of you as we go through I it. Didn't, I did. I cannot take a knife fight seriously with ballet moves, and that's just <laughs> the way I am. Here, here's what I will, will argue and what I was hoping would save this movie a little bit for Mikey. I think if you took the music out of this movie, it's still an interesting movie. Yeah, oh, I think I think that's true. Yeah, I think Mikey would have liked this same cast, everything same. I mean, lyrics becoming just spoken word acting. I feel like he would have liked this movie a lot more than this. Yeah, you guys are you guys. I like classic movies. I just yeah. don't like musicals. <laughs> that, that's why I was kind of hoping it would still work out, because when you think of something like when we've done White Christmas previously, if you took the music out of White Christmas, that story falls immediately apart. Like there's no story. There's nothing no, that, grounded that in that movie. Terrible. As opposed to this <laughs> as opposed to this movie where you have a real story about racism and the immigrant experience in America, but then also there is music. I would have liked it in a theater. Yeah. Like I just like my movies like as movies and I like theater as theater. That's a theater with an R E at the end. Theater. Yeah. yeah. The theater. We get it, Mikey. You're a real snob for theater. Yeah, you're, I've seen like all three. <laughs> all three <laughs> theaters, guys. Mikey's been to all three theaters. <laughs> so this movie starts with six minutes of lines on color. It's, uh, it is exactly five minutes long because I timed it because I watched this after you. Yeah. Uh, and after you had texted us about it. And Mikey, when you ask if I, because I am notorious for how much I hate opening credits that take forever. I do hate this because I feel yeah, like too. in a movie setting, this is one of those things that's not needed. I understand why they kept it in the 60s because they were trying to keep it as faithful as they could to the stage show. Yeah, and, and in a stage version, you would have an overture yeah. that you would sit through. Yeah, but this, we don't need it. I wish it wasn't there. I wish it started with the helicopter shots over uh, New York because I feel like that gets you right into the movie real well. Which, by the way, are also a full minute long yeah <laughs> I, you could chop the hell out of those and yeah. the one thing that i do like about it though is it goes from the landmarks that you know in new york to the projects yeah and that's where we land and then it zooms in basically on 
this block. Yeah, basketball Because court. we're only really going to be paying attention to this block. So it zooms into the projects and then it cross dissolves into the Warner lot or whatever, wherever they filmed this two street section on. In New York. They filmed it in, in New York? Yes. That Okay, that's awesome. In a soundstage though in New no, York. No, it's no. outside. You can tell it's outside. Yeah, I, I have notes on it. There was a building that was supposed to be demolished. And so they filmed in and around that, basically this block. That's wild. That had a basketball court and everything that would have been for that apartment building and has those piles of rubble from things that have already been demolished. But people were living in the apartment buildings just around them. So like, imagine if you're living in the projects and you're watching this get filmed outside your house, just like on the street. Now, Mama, come look at this man, Pat Murray. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 10 points for Pat Murray references. Thank you. Um, the interior shots are largely sound stages. Yeah. Okay. But all of your exterior is actually exterior on location in New York, not far from where Lincoln Center is. Impressive. Okay, cool. So, we cut to the basketball court in the middle of like three or four apartment buildings where it's like a common courtyard. Yeah. We see a group of white teenagers kind of posted up on the fence, snapping. Like badasses, Mikey. Like sure. a badass group of teenage ruffians would do. And this is the <laughs> Jets. And what we see in this section is a lot of interactions with the people who live around them, where they're kind of controlling the basketball courts and the handball courts. They rule the park. Yeah, it's very clear that it's their turf, right? They even have jets written in chalk on the pavement. But they're not, like, messing with other white people that are there. And I feel like they do a really good job showing that the white kids playing basketball that are not necessarily part of the gang, they're cool with. They throw the ball back as they walk through. They're not really messing with them. The white girl who's drawing on the the asphalt. They just walk past her. They literally walk around her. They don't even mess with her. They don't even want to walk on her art, quote unquote. It's when they hit someone who's not white. That's when it becomes an issue. Yeah. And what we do get in this section before they run into who will become, in their minds, the antagonist, although that's one-sided and biased, but like, they we see them essentially walk through the city carefree. Yeah. And we're getting the orchestral music for both play it cool and when you're a jet. Yeah. Comboed. So it's like alternating between the two songs that we will hear later as they're basically doing insane amounts of ballet across. <laughs> you know, like you do when you walk down the street of New York. Yeah. You know yeah. when you're the coolest, toughest guy in Brooklyn and you just, you know, do hitch kicks for fun? I'm going to say this, Paige. If I saw a guy doing hitch kicks down the street, I'd leave that person alone. Do you know how fucking strong you have to be to do the shit they are doing yeah. in this movie? Dude, every one of these dudes looks like Henry Cavill naked at this point, I think. like <laughs> They weren't bulky. They weren't bulky, but they were strong. They're yeah. super strong. And they're getting like three and four feet off the ground at some point. Yes. Like you're yeah. watching it and they're jumping in unison at the same height. I still would not let them racketeer me. you're not paying protection money to people doing like kickball changes and shit i understand what you're saying but it's still like i would not mess with that person walking down the street they pretty much act like henchmen from the movie batman and robin they're just missing neon lights at this point oh 
oh my god though but imagine <laughs> if somebody remade this in the universe of batman and robin and they are doing this in neon lights and it just becomes captain eo but in gotham <laughs> i'm here for it we're freezes boys <laughs> Nice to meet you. And then Batman just comes and like murders all of them. <laughs> the song cool would still work. Yeah. It's just be cool, boy. Okay, but in, and instead of the lieutenant, you just have Batman. Yeah, you just have Batman and Robin. And you're like, damn, Batman is racist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Batman is the villain. I would say yeah. that in the in a Batman remake, he just beats up both sets of kids a lot. <laughs> yeah, probably. Where is he? Cool. <laughs> and then they dally dance away. <laughs> like, what if oh. Batman never dances or sings? He just beats them up with violence, and then they dance and sing around him. Well, Batman can't dance and sing because he can't turn his head. It's a whole thing. You would only have to change the lyrics to Officer Krupke to Dear Officer Grayson, which still fits. <laughs> but I, I really do love this opening number, even though, like, halfway through it, I looked at Natalie and said, Mikey's going to hate this so much because there's no dialogue. But it does a great job of showing that, you know, the Jets and the Sharks are who they are, yeah, and uh -huh. they don't like each other, mm -hmm. and these sort of like sophomore-ish pranks they pull on each other. And they, well, I, here's the thing, I like that there's not a lot of dialogue here, and Thanks. I like that it's a gradual shift, because yeah. we start out with them just kind of like, we walk tall, we're, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then they run into Bernardo, and they threaten him, and he walks away, and then we see the sharks kind of have their moment. Yeah. We're hearing some of their orchestral music in the background, but it's almost this implication of they have bullied someone who's just trying to make it, and the response is that they have to fight back, and that's what kind of builds the sharks in yeah. a way. feeds Feeds, feeds the sharks. <laughs> I mean, the sharks were already a gang, if that makes sense, because they already had, like, some street art, you know, that you would, like, have as a gang, but yeah. Yeah, they were all friends for sure, and I think it, it implies that a lot of them came to America together. Yeah. And then in, in different stages, where it implies that the guys all came together and then the girls came separate. Yeah. Because Maria and a handful of others have only been there for a month. Uh, and Anita and a few others have been there a little longer. Yeah. And then Bernardo and his friends have been there the longest. Yeah. So I think it's almost this implication that they arrived as friends and then they do what they need to survive once they get here. Yeah. And that's what this becomes. Yeah, absolutely. But I really like that gradual escalation that happens here because it really is just like them like picking on each other. It's it's not a gradual escalation. This is Thursday. By Sunday, four people are dead. Well, no, that's what I mean. Like right in this scene, it goes from like them just sort of like playing pranks on each other, like throwing fruit at each other and stuff. And then it becomes rocks. And then by the end of this, it's like some three people get murdered. By the end of it, they're like smoking a sugar. They're like, you remember 72 hours ago when we were just boys? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, yes, by the end of this movie, it does escalate very quickly to murder. But like, I mean, yeah. specifically this song. Well, here's what I think. Yes, it escalates quickly to murder. That's the Romeo and Juliet of it all. Yeah. But I think if you were redoing this and all you needed to do was just slightly change their clothes throughout this scene, then it's you seeing it happen over a period of time. And I think that'd be a little bit more of an interesting thing to look at. But that's something that I think plays a little better in the stage show because you've got sometimes you've got sharks and jets who who for the sake of having a small enough group of actors play both. And so you're seeing people change stuff. Yeah. Um, 
or they're moving around so much that you can't tell how long this has been happening, and it's kind of this nebulous time period. Yeah. Well, and also, you sort of forgive that stuff a lot more with stage productions because you understand yeah. that, like, every one of the cast is on stage dancing right now. You can't have set changes or costume changes. So you sort of suspend that disbelief a lot more for theater productions, as Mikey would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we see it kind of go back and forth where it's like the Jets are, are messing with the Sharks. The sharks are messing with the jets. They end up having kind of this all out like chase where like groups of sharks and jets are kind of pranking and and fighting each other. Not really fighting so much as just kind of like chasing each other out of their turf. Yeah. But the last final chase of this sequence comes in because baby John is writing stinks under a mural that says sharks. Yeah. Yeah. Really great. Really. You really got him there, baby John. (laughs) And it's also not spray paint. It's like legit like it's, brush it's paint. It's legit paint. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He went to Home Depot and was like, oh, I'm going to get him. I'm going to write stinks under their logo. Can <laughs> <laughs> you think about how awesome, like how good you'd have to be at graffiti to just have to paint it by hand? Like that takes so much longer. Like how are they not constantly getting caught? And <laughs> it's just always their name clearly legible. Yeah. At what point are the police going to come by and be like, did you paint this? No, no, Officer Krupke. We're just a victim of having paint at the hardware store. Like, it's just. <laughs> yeah, their their gang tags like really suck. I do like the shark logo. Cause, yeah. And that's the thing that the Jets don't really have. The Sharks have like that kind of cool fish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think is supposed to be a shark, but it just looks like a fish. But one of my favorites is when they kind of meet up on the basketball court and the ball rolls to uh, Bernardo and Riff walks out and his line read is nuts. <laughs> like he just says, come on. And then they like send the, they like roll the ball back to him and he just goes, no, beat it. <laughs> and you're just like, is, he's like so serious, but also like not enunciating enough for it to be words. He's a street tough page. He's a street tough. I will say there's like the sharks stink and stuff like that. This movie does get toned down considerably from the stage play for censorship laws in film at the time. Uh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. So they, I've got a whole section on things that they censored play to movie. And it's a lot of just like small lyrics and stuff in songs because if they hadn't, they wouldn't have been able to sell the soundtrack. That doesn't surprise me. This is a really dark time for Hollywood as far as censorship yeah. goes. So like that makes sense. Yeah. That makes censorship. <laughs> but anyway, so Baby John is like writing on the wall, sharks stink, or under where they wrote the sharks, he's writing stink. Right. And then he sees Bernardo, and then he sees Bernardo's lieutenant, and then he sees other sharks like coming around him, and then he just takes off. He like hits one of them with a paintbrush and then runs. Yeah. And dude, they are like booking it in this movie. They are like yep. really running. It's awesome. Well, and that's how you can tell that it's actually filmed outside because yeah. they're running across those lots. And yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. if it had been a soundstage, they would have had to build those like building facades around it and they would have had to reset them so many times for these shots it would have taken the two years to film this movie the way it's shot i mean it almost does anyway but. (laughs) but anyway so he runs into the park area and they corner him and then he like ballet jumps into them they flip him over and then they like cut his face yeah they they hold him down his cut and cut his face with a switchblade yeah 
And then that's when the Jets show up. They start to mix it up, as they would say. And then that's when the cops show up. Yep. Uh, And Lieutenant Shrink and Officer Krupke arrive to break up the fight. Uh, But Baby John doesn't snitch. And and that's something kind of really interesting is that none of them ever snitch to the police. They're all just like, we'll handle this internally. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that they want to. It's not that they don't want to get the sharks in trouble. It's that they want to be the ones to get them in trouble. Like to handle. Street code, bro. You know, there's no no snitching. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but basically the lieutenant is like, I need you guys to get along so I don't get fired. And they're just like, sure, of course, as soon as you leave, we'll get back to getting along. Yeah. <laughs> That's community policing right there. <laughs> just sit the, sit the gangs down and be like, can you guys like not do this? Cause like, I don't want to get in trouble at work. Yeah. 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 My boss is a real ball buster. And if you guys keep <laughs> murdering each other, I'm going to get a corrective action. Yeah. <laughs> So the sharks leave and the jets all kind of round up around Riff. Oh, I love this song. Did you know that he didn't sing this song? I know that he didn't sing it when he's actually being filmed. He didn't sing it at all. Which surprises me because I always assumed he did. And I'll tell you why. It sounds like him. It does sound like him, but I also know Russ Hamill's not like the strongest singer. And neither is the person who's dubbing his voice. It's not like amazing. It's just like a guy, you know, he sounds like he would be like a street tough guy. No, he does not sound like he's going to be a street tough guy. (laughs) But like like in a musical (laughs) from the 60s, Mikey, like that's the kind of voice I would expect from like a rough and tumble rip. Like a guy in a musical, but not like a street ruffian. We got to remember where we are, Mikey. Yeah. If this was a real street tough guy, they'd round up the jets and we'd just hear the bling, 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 bling. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and it would be real street toughs. But anyway, would you be surprised to find out that the guy who dubs for Russ Tamblin in this scene also has his own solo in this movie? Does he sing Maria? No, no. So what other song does he sing? Cool. Because it's the guy who plays Ice. Oh. Really? Yes. That guy He's- does look cool. He's dubbing for Russ Tamblin, but wow. also singing his own parts in the movie. Wow, okay. I mean, he does change his voice a little bit to make it sound not as good. This was the part of the film where I noticed that all of the Jets looked like failed, deformed clones of Neil Patrick Harris. I did not notice that until this time, and I was like, they do kind of look like Neil Patrick Harris, except for a- Action, the Italian one. Yeah, um, yeah. Natalie said the exact same thing. It was later yeah. in the movie, but she said almost word for word that exact <laughs> thing. Yeah. This is also... in. <laughs> In these scenes is where we start to establish the color palette that visually separates both the gangs, where the Jets are in essentially not pastels, but kind of more muted yellow, blue, orange. Yeah. Which I appreciated. It helped me keep track of the film. It's like a uniform, like like, like jerseys on a soccer team or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh That's why they do it. And it even extends to the girls who hang out with their gang are in the same colors. Conversely, the Jets are in like red, purple, like jewel tones. And so it's easy to kind of tell them apart, which is nice. But this is where Riff is basically like, we need to defend our turf. We need to rumble with them. We're meeting them at the dance tonight. I'm going to take a lieutenant. It's going to be Tony. We have not met Tony yet. Yeah, and action is like, fuck Tony. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck Tony. Where's Tony right now? Action lives at 10, and I love that about him. Honestly, (laughs) action's one of my favorite characters. he's insane. Because he is always at an 11. His nickname works, you know? Yeah. That's why he has it. 
Yeah, that's someone who earned their nickname. You're right, Paige. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is where we get into the song When You're a Jet. Oh, I love this song. Which is super famous. Yeah. Uh, it's got all the snaps. It's got all the jumps and all the kicks and all of the gymnastics. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very fun. The yeah. jet-nastics is what you're the saying. The jet-nastics. The three things I love in a film. <laughs> <laughs> Music, gymnastics, and snapping. <laughs> It's got everything. <laughs> Mikey, it's great. This is one of my favorite songs of the film, although it's mainly because I have an immense love for Russ Tamblin. But if you watch this, like, Russ Tamblin bones out, like, halfway through the song, and we don't see him anymore. And the song continues without him, <laughs> which is my favorite. I know, it's hilarious. But in the story, I guess he's going to meet up with Tony because yeah. that's the next scene is literally them together. So you have to establish that he's going to see him. Because this whole thing is like a series of 24. <laughs> it's, it's, it does feel like 48 hours long. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the first 48 just before the murders. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I would love to see the first 48 take over after Chino gets arrested. Like, yeah. We're looking for suspects. They dance and sing all the time. That should be easy to spot. <laughs> We cut to Tony's job where Tony works at essentially like a soda pop shop, like a candy and soda, like soda counter, candy store, drug store combo. He works for what is the equivalent of the apothecary in Romeo and yes. Juliet. Yeah, it's like it's old timey Walgreens. Yeah. yeah, actually, I don't know if you guys know this, but Doc in the movie, if you look in the credits, his last name is Walgreen. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's Doc Walgreen. Yeah, he started the chain. Yeah. He got super famous after there was a bunch of murders around his store. You know, on the news. <laughs> He's like, and I gave aspirin to all of those kids. <laughs> so we cut to Tony, who is in the alley behind the store doing what I like to call the initial law and order interrogation, where he's just loading crates. Yeah. Last Wednesday, I was working. Can anybody verify it? Yeah, my wife and two kids. Yeah. So he he's loading up glass bottles of Coke. And Riff is trying to get him to go to the dance that night as his lieutenant for a war council with the Sharks. And Tony is very much like, I'm not in this life anymore. I got a job. I'm trying to like yeah. be le a legit civilian. Like, what are, what are you doing? I'm not. A I've left that all behind me now. I don't even dance. I'm too old for this <laughs> shit. <laughs> I got the impression that Tony is a couple years older and has kind of grown out of a lot of this. But we also did learn in the last scene that he's one of the founding members of the Jets. Like him and Riff yeah. started the Jets together. There is also, there are some lines through the film that make it seem like he was like the jettest of Jets and like beat the shit out of people. And then it sounds like he may have been arrested and then had some sort of probation, which got him this job. Yeah. Maybe. And he has just decided that, like, you know what? This job isn't so bad. Yeah. There's some there's some dialogue around the movie that kind of huh. seems like maybe something intervened. And this is why yeah. he now has this job. And that's what he's doing. But. He basically is turning Riff down. Well, they do a weird wrestle first. They do. Well, okay, because they're they have like a very brotherly relationship, except they're not brothers, right? And right. Russ Tamblin is like, hey, you know, I've I've never asked the time of a day from a clock, which I don't know why, but I've always loved that line. And he's like, but I need you to go to this war council with me. And he's like, you are. And Tony's like, you already live with me. I have this job. Stop trying to mess up my life. And he goes. And he says something to the effect of, I'm going to make you move out or something like that. And he goes, yeah, why don't, if you don't like it, why don't you pick up your shit and move out? Yeah. And then Russ Tamlin does the equivalent of, or the 1960s equivalent of, well, I would, but I'm fucking your mom. 
And then that's yeah. when they get into this very awkward wrestling move. Yeah. yeah. They're just messing around. I call that wrestling move second base. <laughs> Anal is your second? I know. I was about to say, if second base is you pinning them down into, like, unconsensual sex, I don't want to see what your third and home are. <laughs> it's just murder. <laughs> oh, so you you do what I call the full West Side Story. I can't imagine why you don't like this movie, Mikey. I always peg Mikey as the prude on the podcast page. It's interesting. <laughs> I know. He won't even say pussy, but he'll straight murder one. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <gasps> a night with me and your friends will be singing around it. <laughs> and then they will carry it off out of the parking lot. Oh, no. But Tony and Riff, they're like very, very close. And I really love their mm. womb to tomb, birth to earth. I really like that a lot. That was changed for the movie. Was it? What was it originally? Uh, sperm to worm. Oh, uh, shit. I love that, too. <laughs> and they were told that they could not say sperm on screen. Yeah. That's great, though. Oh, man. That's so good. And the spirit of it is still there. But, I, I man. Yeah. I would love to see the stage show. What's really interesting is that some of the stuff that gets pulled for censorship stays in the stage show and some of it doesn't. And I'll kind of point out some of the things where the movie version has kind of superseded the stage one and now the stage one does what the movie did yeah which i think is kind of interesting but also these came out so close the like the stage play had only been out for a couple of years before this came out that i think most people remember the movie and so it's not as noticeable right anyway tony basically tells riff not only do i like have a job i'm out of the gang life I'm, I'm not really, I don't want to do this with you. Uh, but also, I have, essentially, he expresses that he has hope for the future. Where he's like, oh, yeah, things are good in my life. Good things are going to happen. I don't know what they are yet. But I, I want to be open to good things happening. Literally, something's coming. I don't know what it is, but it is going to be grand. It's going to be great. So it's good. It's one of my I favorite songs. I love this song. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Although the song doesn't happen yet. That The song happens after he agrees to do the war council with Riv. Right. He does agree to go, but basically is like, fine, I'll stand next to you. But like, yeah, I'm just doing this for you. It's a favor for you. Yeah. I don't give a shit about the council. I don't give a shit about the Jets. I'm going for you. I guess it's not about the council. It's more about going to the dance to set up the council. But yeah. Right. Do they really live together? Yeah. Riff lives with Tony and Tony's mom. I think Riff lives with Tony's family. I don't know that Tony still lives there. Oh, that's He fair. made oh. them. Oh, okay. But. This is where we get the song Something's Coming, which, again, one of my favorites in the musical. It's really great. Yeah. And we cut from there to Maria's dress fitting, where she is trying to get Anita to make the neck of her dress lower, which, like, I feel you, girl. I'm always, that's, we show off what you got. That's, you know, mm -hmm. gotta play for best assets. <laughs> I do love that she hates it. She's like, white's for babies. This dress is not for church anymore. Let's like make it sexy. And then she puts it on and realizes how good she looks. And she's like, all right, I can make this work. <laughs> well, and what she also says, I'll be the only one there in a white dress. And as she says it, she realizes, oh, that will make me stand out. Yeah. Well, and she, which is she looks great. Like she does look great in this dress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So who's throwing this dance? So this is a local community dance. Center, so like this a community is center dance? Like a community center dance. And this was actually a common thing at the time. And a lot of times it was done to try and keep the peace. Basically, like, the idea being if you could get these kids to have fun together, maybe they wouldn't fight as much together and they have a place to go where they're not causing trouble. They're at this dance instead. 
So this is kind of a common thing, but it's the local, it's like the blocks dance. Okay. So she gets ready for the dance. Uh, She likes her dress and she says, tonight is the beginning of my life as a young lady in America. Yeah. And they leave for the dance, which will then kick off a series of events leading to intense trauma. <laughs> to the murder of her brother, boyfriend. And uh, two days is not long enough to be a boyfriend. They have sex in this movie. Wow. Okay. It doesn't show it, but it is implied that they have sex. Yeah. Yet. I do like that we're learning a lot about Mikey's dating style. Like, sex does not equate relationship. Well, here's the, here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, m- m- modern day, Mikey's right. Uh, and two two days is not long enough to know anybody (laughs) so like yes uh i feel like in the 1960s sex had a lot more meaning (laughs) and i'll I'll say that and it's like i'll probably meet someone i really like and then like two days later they get murdered and i'll be like well i get it (laughs) (laughs) you're like i deserve this i guess You'll somehow figure out a way to make it your fault. Yeah. (laughs) There's that very famous Anthony Jeselnik joke of like, I read Shakespeare all the time. It really helped me through some dark shit. For example, if I hadn't read Shakespeare, I would have totally freaked out when my girlfriend killed herself. I love that joke so much. (laughs) Anyway, cut to the dance. Uh, They arrive and the two gangs are literally dividing the dance floor down the middle. Yeah. They have a literal standoff on the dance floor, and it gets interrupted by Gladhand, who's like the community organizer. I love Gladhand. If you watch him, I feel like he's the only one in this movie who did not realize he was in a movie. Like, his acting is so good for whatever reason, (laughs) because he's like the only one who I feel like is doing a great job of like listening to what people are saying and incorporating that into like his lines because when he's like setting up this like get together dance they're like girls on the inside guys on the outside or it's the opposite of that or whatever <laughs> it's yeah girls on the inside guys yeah. on the and outside, then one yeah. of them goes well where were you being he's like ah, 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 ah. he's like actually yeah. like he's like ah, here you, you <laughs> son of a bitch and then like <laughs> it, it's just so it's he's so good i love him in this he is great but he he tries to organize a get together dance which is again concentric circles yeah uh, girls on the inside, guys on the outside, and they walk in opposite directions. And then whenever they stop the music, you dance with whoever's across. Yeah, from it's you. sort of like musical chairs, except when the music stops, you dance with whoever you're next to. Right. And Riff walks out first with Graziella as yeah. kind of a show of good faith. Right. And then Bernardo follows, and Anita joins him as well. I haven't said this yet, but I love Russ Tamblin so much. Oh, my God. So you said much. it a lot already. I love Russ Tamblin. And, okay, just as, like, a little kid, he was my favorite. In, like, every movie I ever saw him in, he was my favorite. And in this movie, he's dating a redhead. I was like, okay. That's fully a wig, I think. Oh, I'm sure it is a wig. <laughs> just like most redheads. But, <laughs> yeah, I'm actually dating my first natural redhead for the first time. I am obsessed with her orange dress, though. I think that orange dress is amazing. I'm obsessed with his yellow jacket like i want a film replica version of his jacket i love that jacket so much also i like that he and tony and ice have matching jackets yeah it's their gang Mm -hmm. jacket it's their gang jacket mikey is just like head in hand shaking his head right now it's so funny (laughs) i'm trying to be nice (laughs) so (laughs) anita joins him on the dance floor And they kind of snap and everyone else joins them. So it's like they were the two that's like, okay, we're going to play along. Everyone else follows them. Yeah. They start the music, the circles walk. And as soon as they stop the music, they just grab their original dates. (laughs) (laughs) It fails immediately. 
and then they have like a mambo dance off. That's the name of the song, right? Mambo. There yeah. aren't really any lyrics, but they do yell mambo at each other a lot. Yeah, which I I was into. I thought it was great. They do such a good job in this movie with like the choreography and stuff. It's so good. Yeah, we've yeah, talked the, about it. Yeah, the the dancing. <laughs> Mikey is so mad at me. The dancing in this scene is incredibly difficult and and very well executed and very well shot. They actually had to shoot this movie on 65 millimeter. And part of the benefit of doing that is things like this scene where they can literally catch two different dance circles in the same scene because they have that much room in the frame. Yeah, that makes sense. There was a lot of dancers in this film. A lot. That's one of the things I love about old, old movies like this. And like, have you ever watched the old Oliver? Oh, Oliver's amazing. There's one shot where they, they pull out and it's like, Literally a thousand extras. Oh, it's like a city block. Yeah, yeah, it's truly amazing the scope of that in a time before computers. And I, I yeah. sort of feel that way a little bit on this, although it's a much smaller level. Yeah, well, and we cut to Tony and Maria see each other from across the dance, and we get the like soft Vaseline soft focus. Oh yeah, on the lens, <laughs> they rubbed it all over that lens, man. It's oh, amazing. Man. Love yeah. at first sight. Yeah. <laughs> well, and how could he not see her? She's the only one not wearing their gang colors. She is, though. She has a red. Yeah. Uh, well, like and a, she's wearing white. She's wearing white, but she's got like a red belt. Yeah. And so she yeah. kind she kind of stands out. He's got a yellow jacket, so he like blends in with the rest of the Jets. Yeah. But they meet in the middle of the dance floor, and he's like, you don't think, and essentially the implication being they're going to dance, uh, and he's like, you don't think I'm somebody else. Like, we've never met before, essentially, just to clarify. Yeah. He's like, have we met? (laughs) Because in the next 48 hours, we're going to have sex after I murder your brother. Hold on, it's going to be a wild ride. (laughs) Uh, The dancers behind them go into slow motion. It's so cool, Mikey. And they were swaying. I saw it. It was, I I appreciated what it looked. It was artistic. (laughs) Yeah, Mikey's trying his best like to be nice and I appreciate that I appreciate your restraint the dance in this scene is whack (laughs) like this is one of those scenes where you're just like there's so much good dancing in the rest of this movie could they just not do it in this scene and then I found out some facts later that might explain it yeah that's actually pretty common in these types of movies like they would hire ensembles and like in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers it's the same like you have of the seven brothers you have two that are good actors and you almost never see them dance yeah and the rest were hired because they were like tumblers of the era or actual dancers right and I feel like this is they were just two good actors and all they could do dance wise is snap on beat I don't know I mean slow dancing you know you just sway yeah. It's more complicated than that because we will talk later in fun facts about who directed this movie technically and what went into directing this movie. Because this movie is actually pretty unique in how it was structured directing wise. And there's a interesting somebody gets fired in the middle of this movie and then had made enough of the movie that they still get their name on the Oscar. No shit. We, we will talk about it later. It is wild. Oh my God. Um, so they have their weird slow dance. Their weird snap dance, you mean? Their weird snap slow dance. Which I love. Uh, and <laughs> it's one of the few parts of this movie I don't love. <laughs> uh, 
but I do think their dialogue after as they're talking is even funnier because she's like, my hands are cold. Yours too. Is that a thing? Is that when you fall in love, you have like circulation problems? No, I think it's just an excuse to touch people. Mikey just always ends up with cold feet the morning after. Yeah, I'm always <laughs> just, no, 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 I like meet someone. I'm like, my dick is cold. <laughs> 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 Do you want them to Indian burn it? I'm confused. Only if they read Cosmo. Um, <laughs> but then he just says, so beautiful. And so as I was watching this last night, I looked up from my computer at my dad across the table and just went, so warm. And he just said, so beautiful. <laughs> because it's so crazy. We've been laughing about it for years. Um, I love your dad so much. And I don't know, man, I'm in the market for a new one. So if he plays his cards right. <laughs> Again, there's a waiting list. Um, so. But I get it. I get it. It's an honor just to be considered. <laughs> uh, the dancers behind them slowly return to normal speed as they lean in for a kiss. They get a brief kiss and Bernardo interrupts. And this is how he finds out that she is Bernardo's sister. And Bernardo sends her home with Chino. Who has to have been like, you came to this dance with me. Why are you kissing somebody else? Like Chino is like. I mean, he walked her there, but like there's, come on. Oh, there's no sexual chemistry between the two of them. But I feel like Chino sees himself as Maria's boyfriend. Yeah, he's just like, but don't forget who's taking you home and (laughs) in whose arms you're going to be. So darling, save the last dance for me. But she doesn't. And they go home anyway. So (laughs) as they leave, Riff and Bernardo play nice in front of Officer Krupke. Yeah. But then they set the terms for a war council and they're going to meet at midnight at Doc's candy store. No jazz before then. Which isn't true because there's like jazz all the way through. They say no jazz before then, but all they do the rest of this movie is jazz it's hands. Jazz. So it's like, yeah. jazz. they both break that rule. Yeah, I I did like that. They set the rules like the movie Troy, where like Brad Pitt will come out and be like, "Who is your champion?" Yeah, but that, it it wasn't as good as that. <laughs> also, I don't understand why Trojan condoms are the that brand because the people definitely get out of the horse once they're inside. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. The Trojan horse is the definition of a pregnancy. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, yeah. they get out, and then they, like... And they ruin their lives. Yeah. yeah in Troy. Absolutely. And, like, I think about it all the time when those commercials... And I'm like, but they got in. The Trojans, they got in. <laughs> That's how they get around, like, legal cases. There's no flaws <laughs> in your argument, Mikey. Yeah. Sorry, I've never been able to share those thoughts with the public, and I need to. I do like that it took West Side Story to bring that out of Mikey. A movie where at the end of this, Maria is pregnant with her brother's murderer's baby. (laughs) Possibly, yeah. That's not funny. Or an immortal crime dog, at least. I just thought about you, Todd, and like, what would have happened if you would have married the truck that killed you? Oh, wow. Oh, man. Um, Yeah, it is that crazy, though, that she would have sex with her brother's murderer after knowing that he murdered him, right? Mikey, I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it in. I know you're like, God, I hope he cuts it right now. No, I'm keeping it in because this is the content people need. Dude, Paige is so embarrassed. She's away from the mic holding her mouth. (laughs) It's like if you brought the pole home to 
your brother's girlfriend was like, I need you to go tell the pole to wait for me. <laughs> and I was like, this movie makes no sense. It doesn't. <laughs> but it's Romeo and Juliet. Like, if Shakespeare had written my life, that is how it would have played out. <laughs> Mikey almost spit out his mountain do. Paige <laughs> still trying to recover from that joke. <laughs> this is one of the weirdest sequel to cars I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right if you came here for some dark takes about west side story we're bringing them today I apparently that was gonna go well or not oh it went well i thought about it last night i like inched it out a little bit that's how you get people to have sex with you mike you, you, inch it in a little bit. <laughs> you, you murder their siblings <laughs> you guys are doing it but i managed to make it happen without losing any family members check your privilege (laughs) (laughs) oh wow i don't know if that joke stays in no it's staying (laughs) no No cuts mikey (laughs) no cuts cuts. anyway tony's following maria home like a creep but he sings such a beautiful song yeah, and he because he heard Chino say her name on the way out of the dance. Chino says, right. Maria, come on. He's like, Maria. Yeah. I love this song. It's a gorgeous song. Uh, there there were some videos of like early in pandemic with people singing it out their windows on the streets of oh, New yeah? York so you could hear oh, it through the street. And I didn't stuff. see yeah. that, but that's awesome. It's it's a beautiful song. We then cut to Maria's apartment where Bernardo is lecturing her and basically like, hey, when you're old and married, you can tell me what to do, but not today. Yeah, he's like, American boys only want one thing from Puerto Rican ladies, and it's disgusting. But Bernardo seems pretty into sex, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bernardo and Anita are having sex. They're they're yeah. fully in a very committed, like, sexual relationship. It's very clear. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time an older sibling has told a younger sibling to do something that they themselves would not do. Yeah. <laughs> right, Mikey? You've never been hypocritical with your younger siblings, right? No. I'm just honest. He should have been like, you see me? I'm only with her for sex. With Anita. <laughs> Anita's like, what? Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> and that's exactly what Tony wants. Hey, Maria. <laughs> Maria, trucks only want one thing. (laughs) (laughs) And it's disgusting. (laughs) And it's, (laughs) they're going to accelerate the relationship. You're not going to be able to take your foot off the gas. And they'll never give you a break. (laughs) (laughs) And then eventually they're going to want the tailpipe. (laughs) 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 That's the second time I think we've worked in butt stuff into an episode. So well done, Mikey. Anyway, <laughs> Anita is basically talking with Bernardo like, hey, you you can't be that strict. Like she's a gr- she's growing up. She's going to want to meet people and dance with people. They were just dancing. It's fine. Yeah, Anita's like, look, look at that girl. She's gorgeous. She's going to fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, though. Um, and they get up to the roof where the rest of the sharks are waiting. And this is where we get the song America, which is. Tons of great dancing. Oh, yeah. Very great lyrics and catchy as hell. Yeah, and it's like a lot of social commentary, which I think still very much holds up 60 years later and makes me sad that it feels like we've made almost no progress. I feel like if you have to watch only one scene from this movie, it should be this one. It should be this one. This was my favorite scene. This is what I said earlier. I stand by it. I like, yeah, I just thought it was a very subtle and like needed thing to like grow the, the depth of the film. 
Mm-hmm. And I really like that in this scene, it is clear that the sharks are not the bad guys of this film. Yes. Right? And I like that we don't really have a good guys versus bad guys. Like, the Jets are a gang, the Sharks are a gang, and they don't like each other because of social issues, right? So it's sort of like the villains of this movie are like the society that they're in right now, right? The culture that they're in Mm -hmm. right now. It's not that Riff is awful and Bernardo's awful. They're just both trying to get by with what they have. I would say Riff has a lot more privilege than Bernardo does, and this movie points that out with... Like yeah, Detective Shrink, who's like, yeah. listen, I'm on your side. More or less like, fuck those guys, because I'm super racist. But even then, like, Riff is not like, he doesn't want their help. He's like, no, we don't need you. We're going to do what we're going right. to kill these guys ourselves. I don't know. It's not great. But, like, I do like that there's no good guys and bad guys, really. Right. I found Bernardo and Riff as bad guys and the cops. I just feel like they're um, all products of the environment. Like, I understand everyone is doing what they feel like they have mm-hmm. to do in those moments. You know, like even the police officers, they, they feel like they have to keep the peace on some level. And they see Bernardo and Riff and their respective gangs as the people who are not keeping the peace because of whatever reason. I mean, there are a lot of social issues going on that's causing that unrest. But like, I sort of understand their motivation, even though I don't agree with it, if that makes any sense. I feel similarly about if I could equate this to a modern movie, uh, the character of Killmonger in Black Panther. Yeah. Where it's someone doing bad things, but you understand their motivation behind it Mm -hmm. and you understand where it's coming from. That's where I place most of the characters in this movie, especially the gangs, where it's like, is there a true quote unquote villain? I mean, in the case of Killmonger, yes, because he's like literally killing so many people. His name is Killmonger. You're not going to not be a villain with that name. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Just really gives it away. In this movie, it's (laughs) it's this idea of if I put myself in their shoes, what are the choices that I would make? And some of them would be this because I feel like they, to them it is life and death. Yeah. None of them views themselves as the villain, which I think is very important. Right. And I think that's an important distinction to make because the movie is giving you this insight that they all think they're the good guy. And from the outside, none of them are. Yeah. but And that's how the world works. Everybody thinks they're the Exactly. Good guy. Yeah. That's why I like not to bring up another sort of comic book movie, but Spider-Man Homecoming. Michael Keaton's character is like, he is very much not a bad guy in his mind. Oh. I still think that's one of the best villain portrayals in a I think he is. And I think that's why if any sort of pop culture can convey the villain of the piece or the antagonist as they are dead set that they are actually the hero of their story, that makes a good villain. It makes a really good villain. But you have to be really, really clear about what that villain's quote-unquote motivations are. That's hard to do, I think, sometimes and still make them somewhat sympathetic. Now we're in my wheelhouse uh, with uh, Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin in the Netflix uh, Daredevil. Oh, yeah. That was really good villain portrayal. I mean, and but and all of this is kind of why I really liked Killmonger and Black Panther, because as he's, you know, giving his speech about why he's doing what he's doing, you're kind of like, oh, man, I fucking get it. Yeah. Like like Thanos. I mean, not as much like Thanos. because no. Thanos is <laughs> crazy. I'm pretty, I'm pretty much I think Thanos was right. I'm, I'm, <laughs> for me, listening to Killmonger be like, you have all of this and you won't help your own people yeah like you are letting us die you are letting us be killed like when we get that turn in that movie it's that feeling of like oh 
our good guys aren't really the good guys either. Yeah. And I think that's mm-hmm. super interesting and powerful. I think that's similar in this movie where it's like, if you're a white audience member watching this in 1961, chances are you're identifying with the Jets. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're defending their turf. And then to have this movie turn around and really try to humanize the Shark. other gang mm-hmm. in, you know, the Sharks and Anita and everyone in the Sharks orbit I think it was really them trying to say like, hey, your bias doesn't make you right. Yeah. There is feeling and emotion and humanization and a right to live on this other side, too. I think it's why I like the scene the most, because it definitely feels the most modern and humanizing of all the scenes to me. Yeah. And I can't imagine that there were a lot of portrayals of minority groups in film around this time where it really pointed out like, hey, their life is not great. Like they came here from a bad situation, but this is not really a great situation for them. And they even talk about that in the song or really before the song when Anita's like, we have so much here. And he's like, we have nothing here as well. It's just more expensive. Nothing. Yeah. Which I thought was an, that's before the song, but like, that's an interesting look at like what their life was like in Puerto Rico and what it's like now. It's not functionally a lot better. Right. Any movie at this time period that says you have a leg up on the rest of society because you are white, I think would be very controversial at the time. I'm surprised. Yeah. You know, I was very surprised by the line. Yeah. Yep. But anyway, that's one of the reasons I love this song so much. It's also like hella catchy and Anita does an amazing job in the dancing here. And so does, so does Bernardo. Like they're amazing, but like the dancing's amazing. The song's hella catchy, but it also has like a great message to it too. Yeah. They leave for the war council and as they leave, Tony kind of literally just missing them comes to Maria's bedroom window and they essentially have a Romeo and Juliet balcony scene from mm-hmm. her fire escape. Yeah. And this is where we get the most famous song from this movie tonight. Yeah. Where they kind of sing to each other. Uh, he leaves and we cut to the war council where outside the war council, I thought it was really interesting that uh, one of the jets is reading Captain Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. That's baby John. Yeah. Baby John back when Captain Marvel was uh, portrayed as a dude. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty fun. Yeah. Well, and this is the Officer Crumpke scene. This is because they roll up that Captain Marvel comic and then they yes. literally hit the same dude with it. This entire song. This guy stands there and takes shit from this group all song. I don't think he yeah. sings once. He just really takes related, he- really related to it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're that guy on this podcast in uh, your mind. Okay. People sing to him and give him shit. I see yeah. that. That's fair. I mean, coming from the person who literally made a joke about the truck that killed my brother's life, that, that rings true <laughs> to me that you're the attacked person on this podcast. You're the one who fucked the truck. <laughs> I want to be clear. It was a, a dark time in my life, and it's something that I regret doing. <laughs> And I don't know if you know, but that truck fucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's eight cylinders. <laughs> oh, man. Just to be clear, did not have sex with that truck. I don't believe you. Anyway. <laughs> I come uh-huh. in covered in oil. Like, I did not have sexual relations with that truck. <laughs> Before we get into the song. We get uh, one of, I think, the worst examples of their made-up slang in this movie. Yeah. With Velma, who is just Oobly adding... Oobly-oo. Oobly-oo. And you can punctuate it. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> the thing that's funny about that, though, in hindsight, like, as an adult, when I look at kids now, that's what they sound like to me. <laughs> Yeet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, get off my lawn. <laughs> 
so the the cops show up. Yeah. And after they leave, they they sing Officer Krupke. Which is, I think, their, like, side of the America song. It's not as, like, right. revealing. Like, I don't think this song was as much of a shock yeah. to American, to, like, to white American audiences as the song America is. But it is showing that they are an underserved class as well just because they are, like, poor white kids. But yeah, they even still within are. their privilege, though. Yeah, because yeah. the and cops leave them alone. Yes. But when the cops come up on the sharks later, they immediately yes. throw them out. And I think the movie does a good job of showing that even though they are an underserved class they still have it much better than the sharks yes because the cops are like listen i'm on your side there's no way to be more clear about how privileged you are when the cops are taking your side in what essentially should get everybody arrested yeah uh and only because you've got 2020 hearing (laughs) (laughs) i fucking love baby john okay so a few things that i noticed in my adult life that i did not notice as a kid the girl who's trying to be a jet like not one of the jets anybody's yeah her name is anybody's yep her name is anybody's and her sister is described as a sex worker in this scene yeah the implication being that anybody's don't charge because she wants to be one of the boys. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was yep. a uh, that was a dark revelation to me when I watched this as an adult. I was like, oh gross. <laughs> I feel bad for her. She's a character in the play as well. And I would, would question whether she is attracted to boys at all or if she just thinks that's her way into the gang. Because what she really wants is just to be part of a gang. She doesn't want to be anybody's girlfriend. She wants to be one of the gang members. Yeah, I don't feel like she was at all like hanging out with one of the Jets specifically that she had a thing for. And she is dressed in like masculine clothing. Like she does dress in a very feminized version of what they're wearing. But she's wearing the Jets colors. It's like everything. I think they would have let her in more if they weren't such fighter Jets. (laughs) Well... You son of a bitch. The implication later in the movie <laughs> is that after Riff's death, Ice does make her part of the game. Yeah, I think that that absolutely happens. And honestly, I, I get a little like choked up at that moment because I'm like, you know what? Good for you letting her in and good for her to get what she's like wanting, you know? Yeah. So they go into Doc's candy store where Doc is just like, what are you doing here? Why am I having to stay open? Get the fuck out. Like, this yeah. is a business. You don't run it. And he tries to give them a lecture of just like, why are you fighting over this block? What's so important about this block? Yeah. And you controlling it. It is so trivial in the grand scheme of the world. And yet you are willing to kill each other over it. He's so right. He's the he's the only character that I liked. Yeah. He's so right. My favorite line in this scene is when action at an 11, as always. <laughs> Just always overdoing it. Always overdoing it. But his lines are like, you know, because you know, Doc says, when I was your age, and he's like, when you were my age, when my dad was my age, when my brother was my age, none of you was ever my age. Which is, and again, this is the 60s. Yeah. So it's this implication of you have never lived the life that I have had to live and don't tell me how to live mine. And even though he's wrong and definitely going to participate in a group murder later, uh, I really do like that line. I love that, that line. That Same. idea of none of you were ever my age. Oh, but that's a line that, I mean, that every teenager, yeah, that's all part of coming of age of being like, there's no way that that guy who's 25 has ever understood where I'm coming from. You know, I mean, like. But at the same time, I think of it like this where I look at my own life and 
there are parts of my life that my parents would have never had to live because the world is so different. Yep. And in the 60s, I would say the same was true. Yeah, absolutely. I would say it's true of every generation. It is different. Yeah. But the feelings of those situations, be it bullying in person or social media bullying or racism, those are things that have existed throughout time. They they have, but I don't think you can equate those experiences. I think they change as the world changes. Does that mean that you should kill people? No. But I do think that there is something to the idea of your past is your past and you can't apply that to other people. Well, I yeah. think it's you have an inability to understand that other people can have empathy for you because these adults are reaching out to listen to them and make it better. For sure. And as a teenager, you don't understand that they are trying to understand. And if you talk to them that 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 I mean, you just don't have that wherewithal that that experience, acknowledge like, you know, deeper because you're a kid, for God's sake, you're not yes. you're still growing up. So I think there will always be that disconnect. There's always going to be that disconnect. But I think we also have to look at it as the generation that is talking to him is the one who lived through the war, is a boomer, and has had an economic difference between these kids, where the life that they live and the simplicity of what they think life could be does not necessarily apply to the life that these kids are actually living. Do I think the kids are making something trivial into something murderous? Yeah. Yes. But I think it's the same idea of when... People are like, fucking millennials don't know how to live. And it's like, millennials have no money. Yeah. <laughs> like, millennials have worked since they were teenagers and can barely survive. <laughs> like, no, no, yeah. you know, it's that disconnect, which doesn't go away. But I feel like that's kind of, even though it is portraying action as being wrong. No, I felt that. <laughs> I felt that when I bought a house because for a while my parents were like, they just didn't understand what the market is. And I was just like, this is this is what it's it. This is what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, honestly like our parents' generation and the generation before that destroyed the economy for us, which is such a statement of privilege. I'm like, this is just like when I purchased property. But I mean, th think about it that way. Where like, I remember before I got married, my parents got married at. Yeah. 21 and 23. So when I was single at 26 and trying to manage an apartment and everything on my own, when at their at, in their lives, they were getting ready to have kids. They were never my age, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree completely. I've never felt more disconnected from like my parents generation than when I realized that the economic advantages they had because they didn't live through Reagan and their childhood. Like we watched trickle down economics fail mm -hmm. in our lifetime and they were able to build wealth before that happened. Oh, and during. So it failed for us. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Some yeah, people yeah. definitely got better, but yeah, those yeah. people are not me. Because <laughs> <laughs> the only people who made more money from trickle down economics were the people who had more money when it started. So, right. like, that's why the wealth has gone so much that just been sucked to the top because mm. that's what trickle down economics was designed to, to do. But it did sort of destroy the millennials' generation chances of building wealth like our parents were able to. Like, my dad bought a house and he's like, 23 you know yeah i had to work two jobs for 10 years to buy my first house at all like my late 30 so yeah. like that it's a different world and they never grew up like this my mom and i talk about it all the time because she like apologizes for hey i'm sorry yeah. that my generation committed like generational like warfare against you guys because <laughs> yeah. they did i honestly feel like the boomer generation will go down as one of the most hated generations because of what they did to their children I mean, depending on if we live long enough to write those history books, because global warming. 
That's true. Uh, and it's really up to us now that we are now the biggest voting block to implement changes so that our children that I can't have because I can't afford right. don't have to live through this. We're getting off. Yeah. We're getting off track. We are getting yeah, off yeah. track. And but I, I spent a lot of time thinking about socioeconomical issues, so I could talk about this all day, Mikey. But uh, like, we do need to get through. I know. The movie I know. I know. I, Let's move like, on. Let's move on. Legitimately. But Paige, for all those reasons, I love that line as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the sharks arrive. They kick the girls out, including anybody's. Doc leaves. They have the war council, where they decide that the rumble is going to be tomorrow after dark under the highway. And they start listing out weapons until Tony arrives. And mocks them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. He basically calls for a fair fight. So just fists, man on man. And Bernardo agrees, thinking that he'll be fighting Tony. Yeah. Only to find out that he'll be fighting Ice instead. The cops arrive and break it up. And they kick out the sharks. And as they leave, they whistle, my country tis of thee. Which is great. Dude, the amount of ironic whistling in this movie is next level petty and Todd Petty is here for that. I <laughs> loved it so much because the Jets do an uh, ironic whistle too later in the movie. What's really interesting in this next scene, so the cops kick them out. This is where we get the scene where Lieutenant Shrank is like, I'm on your side. Yeah. Basically, I'm backing right. you. If you can get rid of them, that's all good. This is what we would call showing your power level. Yeah. In like, like racist circles. Because yeah. he's very much like, hey, we hate those people that aren't from here, right? We're all on the same side, right? And the Jets don't, like, Baby John doesn't, like, turn on them when they try to get Baby John to. And he's, like, picking fights with them, trying to get them to spill the beans on where the rumble's going to be. Well, and in his picking fights with them, it reinforces what we heard in the song, G. Officer Krupke, because he asks... He asks one of them, how's your old man's DTs? So his his alcohol withdrawal right. tremors. Uh, and then he asks Action, how's the action on your mother's side of the street action? Implying that Action's mom is a sex worker. And that, of course, sets Action off because Action's always ready to blow. Always at an 11. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he ends up kicking them all out except for Tony, uh, who stays to clean up with Doc. And then he complains to Doc and he's like, yeah, try to you try working with these kids, see what it does to you. And Doc says it wouldn't give me a mouth like his basically yeah. implying like you're going about this wrong. This mm -hmm. is not the way to get through to them. Like the janitor principal moment in uh, Breakfast Club. Yes. Uh, he tells Doc about Maria and Doc is basically like, oh, so this is why you wanted it to be a fair fight. And Tony's like, should I be frightened? And Doc says, no, I'm frightened enough for the both of you. Yeah. And then we get our intermission. There is an intermission yeah. in this movie. It's like a two minute break. <laughs> which, yeah. Which if you saw it in theaters, you could leave the th like. Yeah. Go to the bathroom. The lights come on. You go to the bathroom. You come back. Yeah. That's so wild. Anyway. So we cut to the next day at Maria's job where we get the song. I feel pretty. And if you'll notice, she is now wearing yellow. Yep. A marked difference from everybody else. And so as they finish up the song, she they're about to close the shop. She tells Anita to leave so she can close it. Uh, but Anita sticks around just too long. Tony comes to the shop. Anita finds out what's going on and basically tells her, I'm not going to tell anybody, but you better be home in 15 minutes. Yeah. Essentially. She's like, what's the worst that can happen in 15 minutes? And she finds out later that they get married. Yeah. <laughs> well, if this is Romeo and Juliet, yes. Yeah. Well, but this is that scene. This is the allegory to that scene. Yeah. Right. Uh, so they do have a song here, uh, One Hand, One Heart, which became a super popular wedding song at the time. Really? So 
Yes, oh, all the way from like the For 60s like a through shotgun the... weddings. No, no, no. <laughs> from like the 60s to the 80s, people would sing this song at weddings. Wow. I'm sure people still do for some people, but anyway, from that song we go directly into what is known as the quintet which is basically five different character stories singing at once. Yeah. And we are seeing everyone prepping for the rumble. The Sharks, the Jets, Anita, Maria, and Tony. Well, Anita's prepping for a private one-on-one rumble. Mm-hmm. A one-bowl, if you will. With with Bernardo mm-hmm. after the rumble. Yeah. yeah. Black Orchid. Yeah. Um, she, he's going to snap her virginity. <laughs> I don't think she's a virgin. Yeah. They've been in a sexual relationship for a while, my friend. I was going to say, we know because Maria threatens to tell her parents about the two of them in the balcony at the movies. So in this scene, we start to see that no longer are, is it ballet dancing and jumps and fun? It's much darker and much rougher. There's not as much dancing. It's like line dancing. (laughs) It's really more just like them walking. It's not the like jubilant version we saw in the beginning. And but I will like goosebumps at the end of this song every time. Yeah, it's so good. We cut to the rumble under the highway. The sharks arrive. The jets arrive. And Bernardo refuses to shake hands uh, because he's like, we hate you. You hate us right back. I'm not going to shake your hand. I'm not going to do this mock. Yeah, we're all here to fight. What are we doing? Why would we shake each other's hands? That's dumb. And he's right. Yeah. Uh, So Ice (laughs) and Bernardo square off. But Tony gets there just in time because Maria has asked him to stop the fight. Yeah. Um, and he tries to break up the rumble, but Nardo pushes him. And Nardo wants to fight Tony. Like, yeah. He really does. But Tony makes it clear he's not there to fight. Like, yeah. Nardo even gets in his face and starts, like, slapping him and stuff. Like, trying to get him to fight, calling him chicken and stuff. And, and he's like, I don't want to fight. What, like, let's not do this. He's no Marty McFly. He's not going to get triggered by that. <laughs> <laughs> But as he's trying to stop the fight, Riff basically in his defense, in Tony's defense, punches Nardo. Yeah. Like cold cocks him. Like it's a real low blow. Like, yeah. Yeah. And now the fight is on. And then it goes full on bad. Yeah. They both take out switchblades. They dance fight. (laughs) And they're having to hold Tony back because he's trying to stop the fight. Uh, Nardo gets Riff up against a wall where Riff doesn't have his knife. Nardo has one. Uh, someone tosses Riff a knife. The fight resumes and Tony tries to pull Riff off Bernardo so he doesn't hurt him. And as Riff runs back into the fight, he runs right into Bernardo's knife. Yeah, it's really I mean, Tony pulls Riff off of Nardo when R- Nardo is on his back and he's about to stab him in the back like he's about to yeah. kill him. And he yeah. pulls Tony or Tony pulls Riff off of him. And then that's when breaking free of Tony, he dance runs across the stage into Nardo who like stabs him. He just stabs him in the heart, like right there. Yeah. Yeah. And as he collapses, he hands his knife to Tony. Yeah. So Tony gets up and in the heat of the moment stabs Bernardo. And now it's an all out brawl. The cops arrive. Everyone scatters. Uh, We basically close the scene on Riff and Bernardo laying dead in the lot. Tony checks on Riff, but he's already gone. He checks on Bernardo. He's gone too. He calls out for Maria in anguish and anybody helps him escape. Yeah. Or like breaks him out of the trance he's in to get yeah. him to run away. I do love the way it's shot with like the spotlights at the end of this, the scene Yeah, where it's like chasing Tony through and he's just like, it's all choreographed so, so well. I love it. It's great. It is great. We cut back to Maria's apartment where she is waiting for Tony, but Chino gets to her first and tells her that her brother is dead. She asks what happened to Tony, 
It was like, he killed her. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know what Chino would never do? Kill your brother. Yep. But like, he like yells at her. Like, he's all soft spoken. He's like, ah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's bad. I can't tell you. It's bad. It's bad. And she's like, uh, what happened to Tony? Did, did anything happen to Tony? He goes from like, I don't even want to talk about it really to, to like, he gets so triggered by the Tony's name. He's like, I killed your brother. And then he like, <laughs> runs down, he like, dance runs down the steps. Yeah. So she runs to her room and is praying that it, it isn't true. And as she as she does, Tony climbs through her window and basically has to try and explain yeah. that Bernardo killed Riff and that's what happened. He's like, look, things escalated very quickly. <laughs> this blood includes your brother's blood. First off, I just want to be honest about it. But do you want to like hook up? Yeah. He tells her that he came for forgiveness so that he can go to the police. Yes. And she's like, you can't go to the police. We need to be together. We need to be together. Yeah. They sing There's a Place for Us. This song makes me sad every time. Well, because it's very sad. The scene literally ends with them like laying down into bed together. And when eventually we do come back to them, like they don't have clothes on. Like they clearly had sex. Right. We cut back to the streets where everyone is kind of scattered and finding each other after the rumble. And Arab finds Baby John. On our partition between the buildings. Yeah. And Baby John's not handling it great, which I kind of love that they're yeah. just like, yeah, this rumble fucked people up. He's crying. Like, yeah. He's like processing his best friend and like leader of his gang dying. Yeah. Because yeah. like, that's why we call you Baby John. <laughs> <laughs> I do think. Yeah. I mean, I think on some level you're right, Mikey, but I feel like he's just processing it in like sort of a healthy way. Yeah. Whatever. He's out of the uh, ev- Everyone else is going to dance it out in just a bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Oh, yeah. Oh, Baby John's there, too. Yep. Uh, so the Jets meet back up at a garage with the girls in tow. Graziella's crying, but only for like two seconds till- until they start dancing. Yeah. And also, in this scene, they introduce a third girl. They don't give her a name, but I think they just needed her for the dance formation. You actually don't see her until they go into the parking garage. Yeah, she's not there. She, she just shows up mid-dance, and you're like, oh, who is this? I, th- I thought for one second it might have been like anybody's in a dress. It wasn't. <laughs> in the stage play, it is anybody's. Ah, uh, so okay. I, uh. I don't, I have to imagine that it was the choreographer that makes this decision later. Sure. In For the movie. Yeah. But yeah, it's just a random girl who, and we never see her again after that point. She's just there for the dance formations. But this is the song Cool, yeah. which is, I would say, the most 60s of anything in this oh, movie. Oh, yeah. It's very 60s. And and it makes, at one point in this song, every dance, everyone in the scene does the splits at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> like, just into the ground and do a full split. It's rough. Well, it's it's a metaphor for how Biff and Bernardo split from this earth. I'm sorry, Biff. This yeah. is not Back to the Future, my man. It's Riff. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. That's a better, more legit name. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anybody shows up and lets them know that Chino's got a gun and he's after Tony. So they got to find Tony before Chino does. And this is the section where Ice actually kind of makes her part of the gang because he gives her a job. Yeah. And so she is trying to find Tony. But as the group kind of splits off to look for him... Out of the shadows, we see Chino. He, like, literally lurks up out of the shadow as someone runs by looking for Tony. Where is he? (laughs) We cut to Maria's bedroom. Anita arrives and is knocking at the door, and she's devastated because Bernardo got murdered. And Maria's trying to stall for time, but Anita can hear Tony whispering in there. And this is where they're waking up, and he's, like, shirtless. Like, clearly stuff went down. Yeah. And they get Tony out the window before Anita comes in, but she knows what's up. 
And so we go into the song, A Boy Like That, and she tells Maria, Chino has a gun, he's hunting for Tony, and Maria knows where Tony's gonna be, so she's worried that Chino's gonna get to him before she can. And there's a knock at the door, and it's Lieutenant Shrink, who basically wants to question Maria immediately. So she sends Anita to Doc's in her stead. Which I would not have picked Anita because, you know, that's the girlfriend of your dead brother who she's probably also mad. Absolutely. Well, I don't think she had an option exactly. at this point. Yeah. That's the only other person in the room with her and the cop's not going to let her go. Yeah, but you know? I think Anita could have just been like, go kill him. Well, I mean, it doesn't go well. I mean, she did <laughs> ultimately pick the wrong person. Yes. But I do think it doesn't go well because of the way the Jets react to her yes. when she gets there. Yes. I feel like she is going to do what Maria asks her to do. No, the Jets were terrible for her. And, until they sexually assault her. And I will argue Baby John as well in this scene. Yes. Well, in the next scene. Sorry. Yeah. So she gets to Doc's store and they literally sexually assault her. Yeah, it's terrible. I hated this part. It is terrible. She's literally like begging with them. Like, I'm trying to help you. And I understand how they would be like maybe suspicious if like your gang leader who was killed also was involved in the murder of her boyfriend. Like, I understand like that whole thing making you suspicious, but I would be like, maybe tell me the message, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But instead they sexually assault her and Doc breaks it up and- in her anger, justifiably so. Yeah. Uh, she tells them that Chino shot Maria. Because he found out about Tony and Maria yeah. being together. Yeah. And so everyone kind of leaves and Doc tells Tony that Maria is dead. And he runs out into the streets to do the ending scene of Predator. Just the like, come get me, I'm here! Yeah. I'm here! <laughs> he covers himself in mud and he lights a fire. He's like, Gino! <laughs> I want you to do it, Gino! Do it! He gets to the basketball courts and is yelling for Chino. Maria comes down to the basketball court so he can see that she's not dead. And he runs to her, but it's too late. Chino runs up behind him and fires. He collapses to the ground dying. And Maria sings to him as he dies, which makes me cry every single time. This is where I lose it. I become just a pile of tears from here on out. And I'll tell you the other time I start crying even more, but let's get to it. Is it, is it when she picks up the gun and is basically like, hate begets hate, and how many bullets do I have left? How many of you can I kill, but then also kill myself? And you're just like, oh, no. That, I mean, that makes me continue crying. The part that makes me cry yeah. the most is when the Jets go to pick up Tony and carry him off, and they still can't. I'm going to cry talking about it right now. <laughs> and the, and some of the sharks like going to help him. Like That, to me, is like such a sweet like gesture. I, I don't know. like Yeah, until one uh, of the sharks was like, man, Tony was... Heavy. <laughs> <laughs> what a fat ass Americans, right? Jeez. Might as well call him Stony. <laughs> I did not cry at the end. Oh, I cried <laughs> so hard, Mikey. I, I think at, at that scene at the end is the implication that they're going to try to work together, but it, you're almost like, how many deaths did it take? <laughs> and like, <laughs> like to on. do what? Like, what is their goal now? <laughs> I, I don't know. We'll carry all bodies together from now on. (laughs) So she walks out after the body. We get very cool graffiti credits. Yes. And And that's that's the the movie. movie. So having seen the movie, having talked about the movie, what do you guys think? Give me some final thoughts. It's still amazing. I love it so much. Love it always. Uh, My final thoughts. Yeah, Mikey, hit me with your final thoughts. What was the movie I really hated? Oh, Rock of Ages. I didn't feel those feelings towards this movie. Okay. That's good. I'll settle for that. Yeah. And 
I appreciated it as like art. Like I went to the Picasso exhibit yeah. where I looked at Picassos where I was like, this is a Picasso. This is very good art. People recognize this as art. I don't feel on some of those paintings. I was like, I don't feel the feelings of like, I'm in all of this art. <laughs> yeah. And that's the nicest thing I'll say about it. I'm trying really hard. I know. And I appreciate your, your work on like self-growth. In, in these types of situations, I feel like it shows, you know, a lot of character growth. Movies make me cry. Musicals don't make me cry. I don't know what that means. And I think it's because it's like people don't sing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think maybe only people in your life don't sing. Yeah. <laughs> if I broke up with someone or was at a funeral and someone just like busted out into song and snaps, I'd be like, we got to call somebody. What? <laughs> <laughs> As a, as a professional, something's wrong. Yeah. It was very visually pleasing, the way it was shot, the color usage, the dancing. I see why it was really famous. And to piggyback onto some points that Mikey makes, like one of the things I love about this movie, now watching it fully as an adult and seeing it from that like adult angle, I really love the intentionality of sort of everything about the movie. Every choice that was made, it, like there is a reason they did the color scheme. Yeah. There's a reason after Tony stabs Bernardo when he's singing to Maria on the floor, you see him behind bars through the the bed. Like, yeah. like everything is a choice, and I really, yeah. really appreciate that about this movie. Which just makes me hate Rock of Ages more. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I'm on board with that opinion. You cannot argue that this film is not a work of art. Yeah. It is like a classical painting of a film. How dare yeah. you say that Rock of Ages is not a monument to, like, hubris? Rock of Ages <laughs> is a monument of shit. Yes. It is literally flies. I, I hate it. <laughs> I I support this opinion, Mikey. I am I am okay with you not emotionally connecting with this movie, but admitting that it is a work of art and that Rock of Ages should have never been made. Yes. The thing is, I agree. I'm just so glad Rock of Ages got made so we have Tom Cruise singing into Malin Ackerman's no! vagina. No. No. <laughs> I want to know what Bud is. I want you to show me. The movie's an atrocity. The movie is like watching CNN at 3 a.m. and hearing about a terrible part of the world where something really bad's happened that you never knew about. That's Rock of Ages. <laughs> I want to hear what Bud is. <laughs> like, what's happening in Darfur? <laughs> Rock of Ages is the Darfur of movies. Oh, my God. Yeah, Paige, I'm assuming you still fully love this movie. I will watch this oh, movie a yeah. hundred more times. Mikey probably won't want to ever watch it again. I wouldn't hate watching it again if someone really liked it. Like if you started dating someone and they were like, hey, let's watch yeah. West Side Story. You'd probably be like, I mean, okay. <laughs> I'd be like, let me tell you, I've seen it. Let me tell you about the bars on the face when they're singing some stuff. <laughs> oh, you're going to steal my... Uh... <laughs> Your analysis? I'm going to be like, my friend Todd taught me a lot about this movie when he fucked a truck that killed his brother. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sort of love that during the West Side Story episode, the runner of the episode is me having sex with the truck that killed my brother. I mean, are we not going to talk about how Maria probably shouldn't have had sex with? I mean, like, she forgives him for killing her brother, like, awkwardly quickly. Oh, there is no, like, time when she, like, holds a grudge, really? She, like, attacks him as murderer, 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 but then immediately is cool with it. In her defense, Tony is built for tough. <laughs> <laughs> so I get it. Listen, from my perspective, it made perfect sense, apparently, to yes and this terrible sad joke. 
<laughs> the F and F-150 stands for fuck. <laughs> and the 150 is just a counter? Yeah, the yeah. body of count. how many times? Body <laughs> count. Yeah. Oh, my like, God. Like Ludacris once said, so much ass you need a U-Haul. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear God. All right. Oof. So, uh, Paige, do you have any fun facts for us? I have so many fun facts about this movie. So we can stop talking about how I had sex with the truck that killed my brother. You realize there was a driver of that vehicle. Yeah, but no, it's clearly the, the truck. Like yeah. The driver is an accessory. The driver is the knife. The truck is Tony. Yeah, what makes it humorous that allows people to laugh is that it's like a little absurd. Like if we were like, you fucked the driver, that's too dark. Yeah. Okay. Because then you have it's- to send the truck to tell the driver to meet you at Doc's. <laughs> I do love episodes that are literally going to make me go to therapy one day. So I've been having these dreams about a truck. (laughs) I self-perpetuate my profession. (laughs) You single-handedly keep psychiatric care in business. All right, let's talk fun facts, Paige. Hit us with those fun facts. Nailed it. So Stephen Sondheim, in an interview in 2010, said that one of the things that he wanted to do with this musical when he first wrote it was to have it be one of the first musicals on Broadway to use the words fuck and shit in song lyrics. But unfortunately, at the time, having those profanities in the music would have made it illegal to ship the record, like the actual soundtrack of the musical, across state lines. So he had to make substitution for those words for both the stage show and the movie version, which is why things like at the end of G Officer Krupke, it's Krupp you instead of fuck you. Yeah. Uh, sometimes now, modern day, when you see the stage play, they'll replace them back Good. with swear words. Okay. Depending on who's doing the stage play. Yeah. The stage version was originally supposed to be a story about a Catholic boy falling in love with a Jewish girl. Oh. Yeah. Uh, much earlier, uh, like the late 40s. And the working title was East Side Story. However, after a huge influx of Puerto Rican immigration into New York in the late 1940s and 1950s, the story was changed. Yes, because the Jewish and Italian people started carrying each other's bodies out. So they had to pick a new. Yeah, they had to pick a new. <laughs> they started sharing trucks. It was like a whole thing. <laughs> um, but so when the show opened on Broadway in 1957, that was more reflective of what was actually going on. And that's why the title is changed to West Side Story. But that means that this stage play opens only four years before the movie comes out. And the movie took over a year to complete. Wow. So, like, that's how fast the turnaround was on this. That's insane. It's crazy. In order to make the film, uh, they bought the rights to the play for $375,000 wow. in 1961. And that's a lot of money yeah. in 1961. And that was just the rights to even make it. Jesus. Yep. Now, the place where they actually film mainly the prologue, but also any of the scenes in the basketball courts and the things outside is actually a a building that no longer exists and a street that no longer exists. But it was a street that stretched between 66th and 69th Street. Um, Basically, West 68th Street was what it was called at the time. And it was West 68th between West End Avenue and Amsterdam Avenue, which no longer exists. So the area was condemned And the neighborhood was basically being completely torn down to make way for Lincoln Center Towers. And in the demolition of those buildings, 
they got delayed. So they filmed while they were waiting to demolish those buildings. That's really cool. So a lot of those outdoor scenes where they're running around, they're taking pieces from buildings that have already been demolished, like the wall of doors. Yeah. Which I always think is really cool in the movie. Whenever they run past a wall that's made of doors, those are doors that they found around. So they're building some of those walls and mazes based on the trash that's around, which is really interesting. That is awesome. But for interior sets, most of those sets were built six feet off the ground so that they could have low angle shooting with 70 millimeter and 65 millimeter cameras. Shooting on this film lasted for six months. That's insane. That's such a long shoot. And the sound mixing and editing lasted for an additional seven months on this shooting. Jesus. They And part of the reason it took so long is because they had to set up shots that were specifically imitating paintings at the time. So someone had done a series of paintings of a lot of these locations, uh, specifically Ben Sean and Robert Vickery, and they were then specifically setting their frames for the movie to look like those paintings. Oh, that's what I... I, I love movies that that paint their scenes like painting. Yeah, and, and that's why this movie's so beautiful is because they literally were putting that much time into it and shooting on 65 millimeter, which was not common at the time, was so expensive. And the reason they do it is for those giant wide shots that we get in the movie. Yeah. But it was so expensive that the producers on this movie never used the format again ever (laughs) in the rest of their careers because it was so expensive. So during the production, for some numbers facts for you, the actors wore out 200 pairs of shoes and put on over 100 pounds of makeup and split 27 pairs of pants and recorded in over 30 different recording sessions. In regards to the pants, at the time, jeggings didn't exist. So they took regular jeans that would they would like dye and distress and re-dye. And when they would distress them and get holes in them, they would then repair those holes with elastic thread. So essentially they were like ruining the pants and then re-stitching parts of them with elastic thread so that they could move in them. It is the precursor to the jegging, which did not exist at the time. Uh, Some of those (laughs) pants are also a fabric called bengaline, which is similar to denim, but stretchy, kind of a precursor to what we would be like stretchy, skinny jeans. Yeah. I mean, they have to do like acrobatic moves in them. Like, yeah, you you could not do that in denim jeans of the time. No, you could not. (laughs) Yeah, you absolutely couldn't. Uh, The number cool was so demanding that one of the Jets has come out to say that after they finished filming that number, they ritually burned all of their knee pads <laughs> because they were so ready to be done with the scene. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about a couple of these actors specifically. So George Chakiris, who plays Bernardo, actually started out playing the role of Riff in the London stage production wow. before getting the role of Bernardo. Uh, for the film version, and he was often cast as, quote, a Latin lover type after this movie, but he is actually Greek. Uh, We have Uh, seen him on this podcast before yeah, because he was in uh, White Christmas, but he's also one of the male dancers around Marilyn Monroe for Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend and Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. And in 2011, he, Rita Moreno, and Russ Tamblin all got uh, handprints and stars in front of the uh, Grammage Chinese Theater on the Walk of Fame. Love Russ Tamblin. <laughs> well, let's talk about him. Uh, he was super unhappy with his dancing in this movie. 
I can see that. Like in my mind, he's like a tumbler. He's like an acrobat and not so much a dancer. And a lot of his dancing is like very acrobatic and not so much dancing. But he does right. great. I love it. Well, he was super unhappy with it until the premiere of the movie when a Fred Astaire came up to him and told him that he liked his dancing very much. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know who Fred Astaire is. He's yeah. famous. Yeah. Yes. That would be like Adele coming up to you and saying, man, you got a great singing voice. Oh, my God. I would die. I know. Uh, so Russ Tamblin had actually originally auditioned for the role of Tony, and it got down to just him and Richard Boehmer, who, by the way, they have remained friends over oh. this whole long period of time, in part because they end up doing Twin Peaks together 30 years later. Oh, oh nice. Okay. So Richard Boehmer ends up getting the role, but then the casting directors called Russ Tamblin back and just gave him riff. <laughs> they were just like, we didn't want you for Tony, but <laughs> we definitely want you for this. Yeah. On set, the gangs were instructed to play pranks on each other to keep tensions high. They were housing them separately. Like, they really tried to make it feel real. I want to see, like, a gangland documentary style, like, behind the scenes of West Side Story. (laughs) (laughs) We tied their ballet shoes together. (laughs) Uh, Rita Moreno has said that her line at the end of when she gets assaulted in that scene Uh, The don't touch me. She says she was imitating Marlon Brando. uh, And it's because he was her boyfriend at the time. And he noticed at the film's premiere. (laughs) So (laughs) he was like, hey, you stole my vibe. (laughs) Hey, what? Which brings us to Natalie Wood. Uh, So Natalie Wood used to keep a list in her dressing room of people who were on her bad side. (laughs) And he didn't understand why. But Richard Boehmer, who played Tony, was on the list. And he didn't find out until years later when Russ Tamblin told him while they were working on Twin Peaks. But he did later reveal that he and Natalie did not have a close relationship off camera. She refused to hang out with him. He basically says that he thinks it was a screen test from a previous film that just didn't go well but he's not sure why she was so mad about it and he said that a few years later uh he and natalie woods uh ran into each other in a nightclub and she was very nice to him and he was surprised at how nice she was (laughs) he was like man i thought she hated me yep let's talk about the directors okay so this was the first film to win a Best Director Oscar for two directors because <laughs> technically both Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins, who's a choreographer, yeah. were credited as the director of this film. This wouldn't happen again until 46 years later when Joel and Ethan Cohen won for No Country for Old Men. Oh. Wow. Okay. As I mentioned, this is the most awarded film musical. Uh, it has 10 Academy Awards to its name uh-huh. and nothing has beat it yet. And it still holds the title, narrowly edging out the Music Man from the following year, which has eight, and uh, My Fair Lady, which was two years after Music Man, which earned seven. And then nothing even comes close again until 2012 when fucking Les Mis takes home nine Oscars. But Les Mis is largely production Oscars, with the exception of Anne Hathaway, West Side Story takes home multiple performance and directing Oscars in addition to production Oscars. Both supporting actor and actress were West Side Story with uh, Bernardo and Anita. It cleaned up, man. So let's get into some of the trouble with directors, etc. So Jerome Robbins and Robert Wise really did not get along (laughs) on set because Jerome Robbins kept doing 
tons of takes of every single dance number, which because the film was so expensive, the film stock itself was so expensive. And because they had already, they were shooting for six months. It was driving Robert Wise nuts and it was pushing the budget of the movie just way beyond the limits of what the, the money that they sure, had. Yeah. So they fire Jerome Robbins. By the time he was fired, he had completed four numbers. The initial prologue, which is the dance through the basketball courts, which is like seven minutes long. Cool. I feel pretty and America before he was removed from the project in part because during the filming of cool, it was so exhausting that the actor who plays baby John collapses and ends up hospitalized with pneumonia from the late night shoots and just the exertion of that song. So like he was driving everybody nuts, working everybody to the bone. And so they fire him, but then he still has a director credit. So he comes back and they have to accept the award together. Oh my God, that's crazy. But that's why at a certain point in the movie, there's a lot less of that wild acrobatic dancing. And in part, it's because they had rehearsed all the numbers. They just hadn't shot them yet. Yeah. So there are huge sections of the film that are shot very differently because Jerome Robbins was not shooting it. And he only agreed to sign on for the movie if he could direct, but then only gets through those four songs before he's pulled off the project. That's crazy. So are we ready to talk about some of the dubbing? Yes, please. Okay. Multiple women in this film are dubbed over by one woman named Marnie Nixon. So she ends up dubbing Natalie Wood for pretty much the entirety of the movie. But then she also dubs over one song for Rita Moreno. Um, and because she dubbed for both, she felt that she deserved a cut of the movie album royalties because it's her voice. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want some info about where she dubbed, so it's everything for Natalie Wood. Sure. But then she dubs the end of the quintet for Anita, that last like uh, high note section. Yeah. So it's her singing all of the female roles in that song. Which is crazy. Yeah. So then she's like, I deserve some royalties because my voice is all over this thing. And the movie, the the production company and the record company refused to pay her. That sounds about right. Yeah. So Leonard Bernstein broke the stalemate by volunteering a percentage of his income as a gesture of good faith. And he essentially does this because she was a friend. So he ceded one quarter of 1% of his royalties to her, the first check of which, the first one, was $18,000. That's one quarter of 1% of a first royalty check. So she ends up making a a pretty fair amount of money on this movie, but only because she fought people. Yeah, good for her. And honestly, good for Leonard Bernstein to recognize that she should be paid for her work. Yeah, and if you are thinking, well, how common was that? Marnie Nixon alone has dubbed for West Side Story. She dubs all of My Fair Lady. And basically, anytime Audrey Hepburn sings in any movie, it is Marnie Nixon. She did the singing for The King and I. She did backing vocals for Mary Poppins. The only time she appears on screen is as a nun in Sound of Music, where she's dubbed for multiple nuns. And then her last credited singing role on a film was as Mulan's grandmother in the movie Mulan. I love Mulan's grandma. She's the one with Cricket. Yep. I love Uh, it. Now, Rita Moreno would actually be dubbed by two different people because her songs are written 
what half of them are in such a low register that she couldn't sing it. And then the end of the quintet is so high that she couldn't sing it. So she was also dubbed by a woman named Betty Wand, who also was dubbed for a number of musicals back in the day. Uh, Russ Tamblin, as I mentioned, was all dubbed, was dubbed specifically for the Jet song. He does sing other songs in the movie, like he sings Officer Krupke. Yeah. Uh, but for the Jet song, he's dubbed by Tucker Smith, who plays Ice. And then Jimmy Bryant was selected to sing for Tony. And he, at the time, was incredibly poor. And so he took the contract at scale because he needed the money. Yeah. And he didn't realize what that would mean. For royalties and residuals and so he only received re- residuals for television replays and got no residuals on the actual album yeah but jokes on everyone else this movie is played on television an ass load. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but at the time they didn't play movies on television and so it was like a bullshit royalty and thank goodness he lived long enough to get some of the royalties from this movie playing on television. Yeah. Um, the original choice for Tony was Elvis Presley. Ooh, oh, I'm glad that, that didn't happen. I'm glad it didn't happen, too. Uh, and it's because Elvis Presley's manager refused because Elvis would only be singing in six of the 12 songs and he wouldn't have exclusive rights to the soundtrack. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about censorship and we'll fi- finish up on censorship. Okay, cool. So the censorship laws around this movie, the time that this movie came out, were very, very strict. And so a lot of changes had to be made from the stage play to the movie in order for them to release it legally. So we went through the sperm to worm one, uh, but the musical number America was actually changed drastically. Really? And some of them are, are things like just the basic line, we came with our hearts open, you came with your mouth open, is we came with our hearts open, you came with your pants open. Yeah. But the lyrics were substantially changed because there were complaints that the Broadway version was actually belittling two Puerto Ricans. It was too racist. Huh. And that the song mainly ridiculed Puerto Rico as opposed to demonstrating the difference between America and Puerto Rico. Right. So the song was changed. In modern production, the movie version is now more often used on stage because of that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. And as I kind of mentioned, uh, the song G. Officer Krupke has a lot of changes in it just to take square words out. But even so, that song was banned by the BBC because of its mentions of drug use and sexual ambiguity for years. And only recently has it been unbanned in the last like 30 years. So there you go. That those are your fun facts. Thank you for those fun. Facts. Yeah, those are awesome. Mm-hmm. And so let's do box office. So uh, this movie came out in 1961, as Paige mentioned. What do you think the production budget for West Side Story was? I think even in 1961, this is like I'm going to say like 10 to 15 million, which doesn't sound like a lot of money, but this is 1961 dollars. Yeah, that'd yes. be like a hundred million dollar. Yeah. Yeah. So Mikey, what do you think? Eight million. Okay, so it actually is $6 million, which doesn't sound like much, but I'm going to tell you what that is today's dollars. So that's like $53 million. Jeez, I mean, that's still low for what they pull off. It is super low, but I mean... But the dollar could buy a lot more back then, you know? Yeah, Yeah. that's true, that's true. I don't have, like, weekly box office numbers because it does not track that far ago. Yeah. But what do you think it made in its worldwide run in 1961? Oh, I bet this made bank. And because, you know, there were no other options. You had to see it in theaters. So sometimes I bet people saw it more than once. I'm going to say this made $80 million. I'm going to say 60 Okay. 
So it made $43.7 million. That's still a lot into like if you account for inflation and stuff. Yeah. So if you account for inflation, I've done that math for you. It's $387.1 million. Damn. So it did well. It made a lot of money. Yeah. But that's your box office. So do you think they're still together, guys? <laughs> I mean, just long enough uh. to identify the body. Um, yeah. Where did they take the body to? Probably the morgue. Yeah, I would bet the morgue. I don't think that's how they do crime scenes. Oh, no, they shouldn't have moved it. Well, I mean, the <laughs> cops show up and arrest Chino immediately. Like, Well, but yeah, if this was a real crime scene in real life, they should not have moved that body for chain of custody for the evidence. Oh, yeah, and they should not have let Maria yell at the detective, don't touch him, and like tamper with evidence. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm just saying if I was Chino's lawyer, that dude's out of jail immediately. Uh, but I think back then they didn't even have Miranda rights, so. <laughs> oh, you're probably right. Anyway, so. No, I don't think they're together. I mean, clearly they're not, Mikey. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this week, Paige made Mikey watch West Side Story. Mikey, how are you going to retaliate? And what are you going to make us watch next week? Well, you guys, I spent a lot of time researching this week. Okay. <laughs> because I like really bad romantic comedies, but usually they're bad in a way that you guys enjoy. Yeah. So I had to handpick a movie that was bad specifically designed to make you both angry. Oh, <laughs> like no. Remember Me. Right. I, to be honest, but it was so funny that it was that bad. <laughs> right. No, that was one that was bad. That was good. I have chosen a winner of four or five Razzies. <gasps> oh, oh yes. all right. Nice. Okay, cool. Yes. We're going to watch The Hottie and the Naughty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> oh, this is going to be so terrible. I can't wait. Paris Hilton wins Worst Actress of the Decade due to this film. <laughs> I have not even seen the trailer. This is all based on text research and articles uh, that I wrote. Oh, uh, that you uh, wrote? <laughs> that, no, that I read. Yes. Yeah, I'm just like, here are themes in this movie that make everyone mad. I'm like, are these themes that match up to make Paige and Todd mad? I mean, here's the thing. I could be mad and still have fun. I, I think it'll still be fun. I found so many movies that I want us to do so bad. <laughs> I love the amount of effort you're putting into this. This is amazing. But we're going to watch The Hottie and the Naughty because I think it's so terrible and offensive that it might not even be funny. I'm prepared to find out. Paris Hilton is a main character in this. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the main hot. character. That's hot. Have you seen her try to make lasagna? It's one of it my favorite a... videos ever. <laughs> it has a 5% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, wow. <laughs> can't wait i am looking forward to it mikey <laughs> but i found a lot of movies that i want us to do from the research and i was like but that's a be too good of an episode like they look really fun oh man i am excited this is gonna be great yeah this is fantastic so your homework for next week is to get wine drunk <laughs> i don't know how to set this up without working in the fact that she was in a porn um, <laughs> get lasagna drunk, get your night vision goggles, and let's watch the hottie and the night. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, this is going to be a fun one. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, so, Mikey, do you have a review for us to read? Yes. I'm going to read one that's entitled Sheesh. Do the fourth kind, do the fourth kind, do the fourth kind. <laughs> <laughs> it's from Hex colon Devour Hope, which I don't know if, it's like a, if that's a spell I'm reading out loud to like. Uh, the listener. Oh, great! The Necronomicon came to life. Good job, Mikey. But the, well, what does Hex under what well, Hex colon Devour Hope said? So I'm not one for romantic movies. I would rather watch myself getting punched in the face on a loop than watch one. <laughs> okay. 
That being said, I could listen to this trio talk about rom-coms all day. Oh, I thank you. These descriptions of these scenes are well bonkers and enjoyable. (laughs) Keep up the good work. Also, Michael's single jokes give me life because I too am perpetually single for no fault but my own. Well, that's uh, actually something that differs between you and Mikey. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Mikey's fault. Yeah. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Your neighbor makes danishes, dude. Yeah, she's making me a thing this weekend for my birthday. Oh, I bet she is. Is it a baby? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Hex, colon, Devour Hope, for that awesome five-star review. And just based on your username, hope everything's going well in your life. Yeah, hugs. Yeah, hugs and loves, baby. (laughs) So, um, yeah, guys, if you like this power thruple that we have here on this podcast, make sure to check out our other podcast, The Horror Virgin. And that is the only other podcast that Mikey and I are on. But Paige gets around, and she is on two other podcasts, Black Card Rehab and Cult Podcast. So guys, definitely check out those because they're amazing. If you want to follow us on social, we are at Romancing the Pod Show. Yes. On yes. Instagram. And we are at something else on Twitter who I just have never taken the time to learn it's, it. It's just Romancing Pod Show because they have a character oh. limit and it's show, S-H-O, like Showtime. So guys, check that out as well. And if you want to follow us all individually, Paige is at Rampage Wesley everywhere, including TikTok, except for Twitter, where she is at Paige Wesley. Mikey is at M Randolph 24, and I am at Todd J Awesome everywhere. And guys, we got a P.O. box. So if you want to send us some love letters or whatever you might send to a P.O. box, it's actually not a P.O. box. It's like a regular street address. It's pretty awesome. It's 6688 Nolensville Road, number 108-34, Brentwood, Tennessee, 37027. So send us some stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be it for us, you guys. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I am Todd. And you complete us. To completion. Toodle pip. I'm so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> you are, Mikey. I mean, 100%. I feel pretty. I call you the soft 10 because you are a soft 10. <laughs> oh, my God. Somebody at work was like, hey, you usually date out of your league. And I was like, that's a very offensive comment. <laughs> but also very true. God, if I had a nickel. I was like, sense of humor does count. So it shut does. the fuck up. <laughs> I mean, I date out of my league too because of my sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.